meeting of the Recreation and Park Commission with the Secretary. Please call the roll. Commissioner Buell? Here. Commissioner Anderson? Here. Commissioner Griffin? Here. Commissioner Halsey? Here. Commissioner Louie? Here. Commissioner Jupiter Jones? Here. Commissioner Mazzola? Here. This is the Recreation and Park Commission meeting of February 16th, 2023. The San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatishaloni peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We honor the Ramatishaloni peoples for their enduring commitment to Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatishaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As stewards of parkland, we recognize our duty to honor the Ohlone through thoughtful and informed preservation and interpretation of ancestral land. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as First Peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish community. Good morning and welcome to the Recreation and Park Commission. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person in City Hall Room 416 with options to join and provide public comment remotely as well. We ask that you please turn off electronic devices and take any secondary conversations outside in order for the meeting to proceed as efficiently as possible. We ask listeners to turn down your televisions and or computers while listening on the phone. We ask for your patience if we experience any technical issues. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. Unless otherwise announced by the president, each person will have two minutes for public comment on each item. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available both in person in City Hall, room 416, and via phone. For each item, the Commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. For those who would like to join the meeting remotely, you can view the meeting live on SFGovTV or via webinar using the link provided at the top of today's agenda. You may provide public comment remotely via our webinar or, or via phone by calling 415-655-0001 using today's access code, which is webinar number 2481-435-0362, and the webinar password is 0216. When you hear the agenda item you would like to comment on called, dial star 3 to be added to the queue to speak. You will be lined up in the system in the order you dial star 3. The system will notify you when you are in line and waiting, during which time the system will be silent. All callers will remain on mute until their line is open. Everyone must account for the time delays and speaking discrepancies between live coverage and streaming. Please address your comments to the Commission during public comment on items. In order to allow equal time for all, neither the Commission nor staff will respond to any questions during public comment. The Commission may ask questions of staff after public comment is closed. If there is an item of interest to you that is not on the agenda and, and is under the subject matter jurisdiction of the Commission, you may speak under general public comment. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways, by emailing recpark.commission at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be included in the legislative file as part of the matter. Written comments may also be sent via the U.S. Postal Service to San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission, 501 Stanyon Street, San Francisco, California, 94117. The following are short announcements for those of you joining us in person today. If the fire alarm activates, you must evacuate the building in an orderly fashion using any exit. Please note that elevators will immediately return to the first floor and are not available for use. 
If you need assistance out of the building, please make your way to the closest area of refuge, which is directly across the hall in the, in the men's restroom. Inside the restroom is a speaker box. Press it and City Hall security will answer. Let them know your location and they will assist you. Please note that this commission meeting is recorded and will be available for later viewing on sfgovtv.org. We are now on item two, continuation of remote meetings. Continuation of remote meetings. I, uh, I understand that in uh, a milestone in our battle with COVID that uh, heretofore our committee meetings will be in person. So make a note of that and uh, we'll expect uh, to see you in person if you want to congratulate us or complain about the Recreation and Park Department. We'll need a motion in a second to allow for the next couple of weeks in case we do need a, another remote meeting. So moved. Second. second. Moved and seconded. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. So moved. Okay. We are now on item three, President's Report. Thank you. Uh, first, I'd like to welcome our very hip, or should I say new hip, general manager, who uh, <coughs> recently replaced his second hip and is out early. Nice to see you. Uh, I want to make two comments. One is I received a number of very complimentary emails about the successful negotiation and implementation of the first T agreement for Golden Gate Park. And uh, to that end, I would like to congratulate Dana Ketchum for overseeing that happening. And uh, really, a number of people from the community took time to comment to me on what an extraordinary job she did. Uh, the other note I want to make is our next commission meeting will be off-site. Uh, it's an effort to bring Rec and Park more to the community, and so we will be uh, at the Joe Lee Rec Center, 1598 Oakdale Avenue in District 10 for our March meeting. And with that, uh, that concludes my report. If there's any public comment on the President's report in Room 416, you can come up to the speaker. Seeing none, I'm going to move over to our um, public line. Is there anyone with their hand raised? No hands raised. Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. We are now on item four, the general manager's report. Good morning. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, and thank you for the welcome back, Mr. President. I've been a few days discovering my inner hipster, but I am I'm here. Um, no problems with HIPAA, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't have said anything. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hip, hip, hooray. We got that out of the way. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, it is February and Black History Month. Uh, it's time to celebrate and honor the extraordinary contributions African Americans have made to this country and specifically to San Francisco. Although I was... Uh, uh, and maybe Commissioner Louie, you were there as well for uh, the uh, Warriors Black History Month celebration where they gave out uh, T-shirts that said Beyond 28, which really stuck with me, right? It shouldn't just be a month. We should be uh, honoring all of the amazing contributions of our uh, black community year-round. Um, but as part of the celebrations, uh, the Black History Month parade kicks off on Saturday, February 18th, in the Bayview. It starts at the Bayview Opera House on 3rd Street at 11 a.m. and ends at the brand new and absolutely stunningly gorgeous Southeast Community Center on Evans, which is just a stone's throw away from India Basin, creating all kinds of wonderful uh, programming potential uh, between uh, those, those two facilities uh, and the facility in the park. 
Uh, the community center is going to host a celebration featuring food, entertainment, activities for kids. And at the celebration, Rec and Park uh, and our partners, India Basin Project Partners, APRI, and the Arts Commission, among others, uh, will have an outreach table set up with an MC, a recorder, and video and audio crew to collect stories uh, for uh, our India Basin Park Project uh, under the uh, hashtag share your black experience. These personal stories will serve as an important resource for future generations to learn about the hopes and dreams of present day residents. Uh, they will be uh, featured uh, in a way uh, TBD at India Basin. Um, we will also be gathering feedback from residents on the proposed public art designs for India Basin, the uh, second, the phase three of India Basin, which includes India Basin Shoreline Park. Um, this is an there are uh, four uh, final proposals that are being considered by the Arts Commission. They're all extraordinary. Uh, they're all done by Bayview artists. Uh, this is an opportunity for community members to take an active role in shaping the future of the neighborhood. Uh, parade and festival organizers are still looking for volunteers, so anyone interested can contact uh, APRI at APRISF.org. Uh, this month, the Controller's Office released its 2022 annual park maintenance scores, and I'm really happy to announce this year we reached our uh, target goal, averaging a 91% average park maintenance score. Um, in previous years, between 2015 and 2019, the program was on a bit of a hiatus during the pandemic. The city's highest scoring parks were always concentrated in the northern part of the city. This year, and the thing that I'm most proud about, uh, it is the most equitable distribution of, of uh, well, uh, uh, high-scoring parks ever uh, since this thing has, uh, uh, since this tool was developed. Uh, this means that we are really continuing to improve on keeping our rec centers, bathrooms, and and parks uh, clean and pristine, not just in the northwest part of our city, but also in the southeast part of our city, which I'm something that I'm super proud of and want to thank all of the rec and park staff from gardeners, maintenance staff, rangers, so many more uh, who work so hard every day to keep our green spaces healthy and clean. Uh, uh, Tuesday was Valentine's Day. Uh, yeah, as I guess uh, we all know, uh, and uh, I've got something marvelous for you. Uh, I didn't really pronounce that right. Uh, my puns are a little off, but we held a goat fashion show in Union Square. Uh, the fifth annual Goat My Valentine fashion show featured uh, a runway with the goats tasked uh, uh, with some of the goats tasked with manicuring our beautiful city. The event also featured several goats. <coughs> Uh, i.e. greatest of all time of San Francisco, including the actor Jimmy Fails, who uh, wrote and produced and starred in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, featured at our own India Basin Shoreline Park, Senator Scott Wiener, local celebrity chefs Kathy and Peter Fang, rapper Big Rich, artist Jeremy Fish, Sister Roma from the Sisters of Perpetual <clears throat> Indulgence, and so many more. This star-studded event was put on by the nonprofit Value Culture. Uh, this is uh, an Adam Swig creation who also sits on our India Basin campaign cabinet. Uh, and other partners, including City Grazing, the Union Square Alliance, uh, Britex Fabrics. Uh, some say farm animals aren't fashionable, but I say meh. 
Yeah, thank you, Kat. <laughs> my, my goat impersonation isn't really up to what it should be. Uh, entertaining events like these highlight the importance of our public spaces and their value when it comes to celebrating culture. Uh, downtown parks and plazas uh, are also a critical part of uh, Mayor Breed's roadmap to downtown, which he announced last week and spoke so eloquently about at the State of the City. The roadmap will help ensure downtown remains a place for people and businesses to grow and thrive. Uh, our, again, very hardworking and talented staff uh, is uh, really focused on ensuring visitors and residents can exercise, enjoy a fun event, or relax in historic places like Union Square, Embarcadero Plaza, Sue Bierman Park. So you're gonna be hearing a lot more from us over the course of the year about our, about our efforts in the downtown corridor. This past Saturday, Reckon Park, along with the Department of Children, uh, Youth and Their Families, DCYF, held our Summer Resource Fair at the County Fair Building. The event featured over 100 different Summer opportunities for kids, K through eight, including summer camps, classes, programs, and services. Uh, resource fairs like this are a really important tool for families, giving them an early start on planning their summers, ensuring that kids remain challenged through sports and the arts and education when classes aren't in session, and also um, really helps uh, families navigate the variety of options uh, all around the city, not just the ones that we host, but that so many other, you know, nonprofits, CBOs, and even some other city agencies uh, uh, cultivate uh, for kids during the summer. So it was kind of a one-stop shop affair for uh, families. So it was a really successful event. Uh, related to that, we're gearing up for our summer camp programming with priority registration starting March 13th. By the way, what does that mean? Uh, that means we give families in public housing uh, and families in our scholarship program a little bit of a leg up to, uh, to um, try to register their, their kids. Um, so priority registration starting March 13th, following, followed by general registration on March 18th. Registration can be done online or over the phone. This year we're bringing back uh, our traditional all-time favorites like Silver Tree Camp and Pine Lake Camp. But we've got some new stuff planned, too, under the amazing leadership of our new superintendent, Nick Williams. We've got the ropes course experience at the McLaren Park Ropes Course, Camp Mania, a sports camp for tweens and teens at Glen Park. And then we've got the uh, Echo Center's Wetland Explorers, which is a science and nature-based camp out at, uh, out at India Basin in Heron's Head. We also offer a plethora of sports camps from swimming to archery to soccer. We have an all-girls sports camp and so much more. We've got art camps, dancing, acting, singing, you name it. Uh, our, this is our rec staff at its very, 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 very best. Uh, to the public and to the commission, yes, these camps are very popular. And yes, not everybody gets into the exact camp on the exact week that you want. We do our very best. Uh, just like signing up for anything or trying to purchase a Rihanna ticket, uh, you know, it uh, doesn't always work out exactly how we want it each and every time. So thank you in advance to the community for your uh, patience and understanding. Um, but we have, I think, around 10,000 camp slots. So there's a lot of opportunities to accommodate our young people. Uh, doesn't feel like it today, but spring is in the air. The Super Bowl is over. Pitchers and catchers report. So I am very pleased to report that the San Francisco Youth Baseball League opening day is Saturday, February 25th at Kimball Playground. 
Opening day festivities include an all-teams parade and the first pitch of the season. Uh, it includes activities like speed pitch, batting cages, a clinic home run derby, a jump house, and more. We'll have a raffle with proceeds benefiting San Francisco Youth Baseball Scholarships. For the 2023 season, we've got 200 teams. And again, to those in the public and to our commissioners, there are some limits on our capacity. But we have 200 teams with over 3,000 players, ranging in age from 4 to 14. Uh, and we've got more than 700 committed and mostly volunteer coaches, many of whom are parents. This is just really terrific. And uh, as Commissioner Jupiter Jones knows, we are all in on, on girls baseball. So we will have a number of San Francisco Bay Sox teams participating in SFYBL and hopefully participating in the parade. Uh, this event is very near and dear to Rec and Park. It is a big part of our institutional history. Uh, uh, it is the largest and oldest youth baseball league in the city, uh, and it has remained an SF tradition for kids and families for over 30 years, and we're happy to keep that tradition going. Um, I am really proud, and I've only got two more, uh, but this one also deserves uh, a mention, that our very, I'm very proud to announce that our very own Tennis and Learning Center, TLC, which if you recall is at, uh, <coughs> I think, four or five uh, different rec centers with tennis courts that partner with elementary schools, and then our hub is at the new uh, Golden Gate Park tennis courts. Uh, it is an after-school tennis and learning program. It was recently recognized for excellence by the United States Tennis Association of Northern California. SFTLC won the 2022 award celebrating excellence and service for the National Junior Tennis and Learning Chapter of the Year. So this is kind of a big deal in, in the community. Uh, this program provides programming to youth from the city's most in-need communities focused on promoting academic achievement and health and wellness through tennis, introducing many kids to the sport <coughs> of tennis for the very first time. Since it was first created uh, by the Recreation and Park Department in 2014, the program has expanded to six sites, so there's the answer to my question, and currently serves 124 San Francisco kids from neighborhoods like the Western Edition, Chinatown, Bayview-Hunters Point, and the Excelsior. Year after year, the program has been able to maintain full enrollment at each partner elementary and middle school. Uh, this program is important. It provides kids access to a sport that they may have never played before, uh, opening up new opportunities. So uh, please join me in congratulating the TLC program. And a special shout out to all the staff, especially Channing Hale, the TLC program coordinator, who has done a remarkable, remarkable job at growing this program. It's really exciting. Uh, lastly, and in honor of Valentine's Day, who doesn't like flowers on Valentine's Day? Tulips at the Queen Wilhelmina Garden in Golden Gate Park are indeed blooming, and not just any tulips either. We have 4,000 official London breed tulips blooming for the first time. These tulips were a gift from Queen Maxima of the Netherlands when she toured our city in September. The pink and white petals are inspired by the colors Her Majesty and Madame Mayor wore the day they met. So if you're a tulip, and if you're a tulip fan, stop by Union Square on March 4th to see 80,000 tulips in bloom at the square as part of a tulip flower show. 
Uh, American Tulip Day will honor International Women's Day uh, by giving out free tulips to take home uh, or uh, to give to a woman who inspires you, President Buell. The opening ceremony starts at noon, and you can pick tulips from 1 to 4.30 p.m., uh, and if you're not the tulip type but prefer magnolias, one final flowery shout-out uh, to the San Francisco Botanical Garden and the Goldens of Garden Gate, Golden Gate Park. We are in the midst right now of peak magnolia bloom at uh, the Botanical Garden. And if you have not seen this, it is most definitely worth a visit. Uh, the magnolias are extraordinary uh, San Francisco and the Botanical Garden hosts one of the most impressive magnolia collections anywhere in the world and they are all blooming now. That concludes the very hip general manager's report. Thank you. Is there any public comment on the general manager's report in room 416? Okay, seeing none, do we have any hands raised on our line? No hands raised. Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. We are now on item five, general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission and that do not appear on the agenda. With respect to agenda items, you will have the opportunity to address the commission when the item is reached in the meeting. Do we have any public comment in room 416? Seeing none, do we have any hands raised on our line? No hands raised, seeing no public comment. Public comment is closed. Do we, we have any public comment in the audience? I didn't see any. Nope. Okay, we are now on item six, the consent calendar. Before we go to public comment, commissioners, do you want to remove anything from consent today? I'd like to. Okay. Uh, number F, letter F. Okay, so we will... Um, we will talk about F uh, item 6F after we take public comment on the rest of the consent calendar. Anyone else? I think we need a motion to remove that. So you, you make the motion. So moved. So moved. Okay. Second. It's been moved and seconded. Okay. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. So moved. Okay. So on the consent calendar, um, everything 6A through E and 6G do we have any public comment on the consent calendar in room 416? Okay, seeing none, do we have any hands raised on our line? All right, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. So we'll need a motion to vote on everything besides 6F. So moved. Second. Moved and seconded. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. So moved. Okay, thank you. We are now on item 6F, and I believe we have um, Dan Maurer here, if you'd like to, and Stacy, do you want to come up? Who, who wants to try this? <laughs> Good morning, commissioners, general manager. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Ashley. <laughs> so, uh, forgive me, I was typing away on my uh, computer over there, if you could... Reiterate the question. I'll be happy it, to. It, item F has been pulled off the agenda. Perhaps we could ask, uh, Commissioner, do you want to raise an issue about it, or do you want? Yeah, I, I have an issue about F. So, um, the Middle Lakes Rehab 
scope of work that we are trying to give more money to Bowman Land Landscape includes plumbing. Um, Bowman Landscape employs no plumbers. They use laborers and other uh, personnel to do this type of work, so they continue to fail to recognize the right craft. I'm sure they're not paying the correct prevailing wage for this type of work, so I wanted to pull this to make those comments known and to say that I cannot support this today. So th th those are the reasons why I wanted to pull this item. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, if I, if I can respond. You know, chatting, chatting with uh, Mike Bauman, Bauman Landscape President, um, they're a union shop. They uh, committed to hiring a plumbing supervisor, which was required for the specifications and the drawings to supervise. And his only request that it be a working supervisor um, that's actually you know, doing the work hands-on as well. So he committed to that. We haven't gotten to any plumbing work now, but I would be happy to check in on that to make sure that that's still the case from his perspective. He but, and he with regard to he prevailing wage. To, uh, he committed to hiring a plumbing supervisor? Yeah, I believe that's what our specification called for. I, I don't have it memorized, but uh, that from, was a discussion I had before we brought that to the commission uh, for your guys' acceptance of that contract. From where is he hiring this plumbing supervisor? Uh, well, that was a question when I was discussing this issue with him. He was he indicated that it was a difficult task to hire plumbers from the, the union shop because of the um, no one wanted to take smaller short-term jobs because his impression, whether true or not, was that someone would take a short-term job. And there's a list that happens as part of the the, the, the uh, hiring process. So the top person on the list gets a job, but they wouldn't want to come out and do a three or four week job. They want the year long program. Uh, and if they take that job, they get put to the bottom of the list. So he, he indicated that it was difficult to find so can uh, I, plumbers to do irrigation work at, like we do in our park system. Can I answer that? Sure. Um, first off, he has not contacted me. Second off, um, that is completely false. Local 38 has had over 300 plumbers on the out of work book for three years since the pandemic. Guys on the book have no health insurance. They have, they're out of unemployment. They've been out so long. They're dying for one day's worth of work. So that's it's complete mis misnomer. Okay. What I'd like to recommend if you have, I'd, I'd like to reach back to Bauman and find out the current situation. Be happy to report back to you on that item. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. On that note, uh, the chair would entertain a motion to approve item F. I just have to take public comment first. Oh, go ahead. Yep. Anyone in room 416 would like to comment on item 6F? Okay, seeing none, do we have anyone with their hand raised on our line? No hands raised, public comment is closed. Okay, Chair would entertain a motion. So moved. Is there a second? Is there not a second? Do you, do you want to wait until, can this, Dan, can this wait a month for the next meeting? No. No, uh, no, no. it can't, unfortunately, okay. because they're actually out working right now and now the plan is to, to so with the proviso it. that uh, that Commissioner Mazzola will work with you, Dan, to get a plumber from the union on that on that spot. I don't know that you can guarantee it, but that's certainly the preference yep. I think of this commission. So yeah. with that, Mr. Uh, President, if I may, if I may uh, you know, Commissioner Mazzola and I have had a couple of conversations about this, and you know the uh, the jurisdictional issues between the labor's union and the plumbers it's union. It's not are, a jurisdictional issue. 
are a little beyond, let me just, and if I use the wrong terminology, I'm sorry, are a little beyond our purview, but what we did we did do at your request, Commissioner Mazzola, is to draft the specs so that there was a plumber supervisor involved. And, um, you know, and obviously the, the work is, is phased. There's not a, you know, not all of the work is plumbing work at, at this project, obviously. So, I mean, I, I, I feel like, you know, we, we, we have heard you, we have our own hands tied and, and what contractor gets selected because of the city's bidding processes and all of that sort of thing. So, uh, and Bauman does do a, a lot of work all throughout the city, not just at Reckon Park, but elsewhere in, in park projects. So we are, we are uh, trying to very much honor the, the spirit of your concern. Um, so I just wanted to note that for the record. Well, the chair would still entertain a second of the motion to move this forward if the work's being done now with the hope that you can work this out. May I suggest that we have a second so then we can open discussion because I haven't, you know, I'd like to state something that involves the bid process from October. I don't see a second. So I'll make a motion that we deny this until they hire a plumber. Let's get staff to weigh in on that. Uh, the difficulty I, on hiring I, a yeah, I, I can weigh in on this. I mean, I, I you know we and we've got another item coming today where uh, the cost of doing business for our department and the difficulty of completing construction projects is well documented and unfortunately uh, well discussed throughout the country. And we have an active construction project on site, and I, as general manager, do not recommend delaying this project. Through the chair. Go ahead. The, pro the problem is, is that, and not just this contractor, but many contractors are cheating the system by not paying the prevailing wage of the craft that should be doing the work. So what's happening is they're paying laborers' rates for somebody to do plumbing work. They should be doing, they should have a plumber be doing the plumbing work. We're not trying to do the, any planting, anything else, moving rocks. That's all laborers' work. But when it comes to piping and plumbing, that's done by a separate union, which happens to be mine. Yeah. And, and, and Commissioner Mazzola, I really understand this, and I understand as a commissioner and as your profession and I have unbelievable respect and appreciation for all the great work that um, our own plumbers do and, and that the union does for, uh, you know, f for plumbers. But the city has an Office of Labor Standards Enforcement whose job actually is to make sure that contractors are paying prevailing wage. We support that effort, but there is a regulatory agency, another separate agency in the city that has responsibility for that. And um, I think when this has come up over time to time, and you know, I will renew my efforts to try to try to see if we can't get you know Commissioner you and Bowman in a room together so you can you know talk to them uh, directly. But we did specifically put the plumbing spec in the bid in response to and in honor of this concern. And so the idea here that we would not approve uh, uh, this item for a construction project that is actively moving uh, actually does quite a bit of uh, uh, harm and has will have some cost impacts and will create delays. Okay. Um. Commissioner Mazzola, did you want to make another comment before Commissioner Griffin? Sure. Um, 
you know, if if you're promising this commission that you're going to have me and Bauman sit in the room together, then we can pass this today. But outside of that, I don't feel comfortable doing it because I've been hearing the same stuff from Bauman and others. Oh, yeah, we're going to work it out. We're going to sit with you. No one ever follows through ever. Right. So, um, and, and the fact that, that we have a office of labor standards, they, they do like 15 different things, not just prevailing wage. They're outstretched. They don't have enough employees to look into this type of thing. This body here can determine why does it have to get to that level? It, it sh- this body should decide that yes, a plumber should be doing that type of work. And that should go with everybody that does work under this commission, not just Bauman landscape, but they're, they're one of the worst, but there's others out there that don't hire from the right craft. And I'm trying to make that I, I commission totally, understand that. Yeah. And I, I'm going to continue to bring this stuff up, whether it's Bauman or someone else, every time yeah. we're approving contracts from here on out. And I totally, totally I, know. I, if you don't mind, Mr. President, I, I totally understand this, um, Commissioner Mazzola. I really do. But just one point that might help. Um, with the caveat that we, you know, in, in specifically include a, a, a plumber in the specs, this commission has actually already approved this project. What what we're doing here is adding a very uh, lovely element uh, that that frankly I was insistent um, get done, which is that from the fly casting pools there is a uh, uh, when when this was designed by John McLaren there is a stream uh, that rolls from the fly casting pools into Middle Lake. And that thing has been dry and broken and busted for, I don't know, 50 years. And so since we were doing the, the lake rehab, we were able to prioritize and find the money to add this element to return uh, uh, this, this historic feature to the park. So this is just really an, basically an, a, you know, an, an, an add-on more than anything else. Um, so just, that's just a little bit more context. Thanks. Commissioner, are you satisfied that is there going to be? <laughs> you can let the other speak. And... All right. Commissioner Griffin. Yes. I uh, am recently retired, well, two years ago, just prior to being appointed as commission from the Office of Labor Standards Enforcement. And uh, Commissioner Mazzola is right. The staffing levels at OLSE are not what they should be. The city is real big. The Board of Supervisors have big hearts, and they come up with all these great labor laws, but they don't give us people to enforce them. So OLSE catching something like this would be probably not great. That's all. Commissioner Anderson. Well, I have some concerns. One is this commission already approved this project in October of 2022. And now they're just coming to us to add some money to the contract to basically work on, I don't know what to call it, a trough? Stream. <laughs> Historic stream. Huh? Historic rock cascade effect. Historic an image. cascade, yeah. Um, I would like to see us come up with a solution where we can come to an agreement on this today, Commissioner Larry Mazzola. Um, I do believe that we should respect the the labor laws and the living wage and the local hire and and all the great things that we have to protect workers here in the city, which I fully support, and I'm glad that you're bird-dogging this. 
I'm not fully um, convinced that this is just a plumbing issue. Um, I'd like to see the work go forward. And I would be satisfied to know that there is a local 38 supervising plumber. Is, is that right, Larry? And also that our for that, so yeah. And also that our own rec and park employees that are skilled in plumbing might be around too, right? So I, I, I'm just thinking out loud here. Is there some way that we can come to agreement now, so that this can be approved today? Could we put this item to the end of today's agenda? Could someone be called in the interim so that we can make a decision today? I, don't, I mean, I just don't know how I this works. I don't know works. who you call to get a resolution of this. Let me, let me ask Commissioner Hallisey to weigh in on his comments, and then let's go to Mr. Ginsburg. I just have one question. This stream feature was added to the project after we approved it last October. Is that correct? So the, the process on this was that you guys, uh, the, you guys, the commission accepted the cascade work along with the lake rehab as part of the conceptual plan initially. And then we bid and advertised the project with multiple bid alternates or tack-on elements with the understanding that we weren't sure whether or not in this bid climate we would be able to capture everything. So what you do on construction documents is you put in bid alternates and contractors provide a price for those add-on elements that you can either accept or deny depending on how much money you have. Mm -hmm. When we got the bid from Bauman, their bid, their base bid was under our engineer's estimate. So we had some flexibility in our budget to accommodate some of those bid elements, those alternate bid elements. And so given that the general manager and others, myself too, felt that the cascade was an important aspect to this particular project, we decided to fund that bid alternate through this process here. Okay, understood, Dan. So the answer to my question is yes, this was added on after we initially approved no. it in October. It, no, you actually approved the project with this in it as, as a bid alternate, which is very standard practice. Okay, clarify add-ons for me then. then. So, so as Dan said, we can try again, and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, or Stacy, you can jump in at some point, but this happens on every project where when we scope a project before, not you know, particularly in this bid climate, which has been remarkably challenging, uh, when when uh, we we take a desired concept plan, which you approved, which included the rock garden, when we put it out to bid, having a sense of a cost estimate of a particular project, and there's a range and not sure where this would all come in, we take certain features, you know, the core of the project obviously is no. the lake rehab. We take certain features that are considered, it is a technical term, add-ons, meaning if we have the money, you will also do this. Yeah. So what you approved included this as one of the bid alts. Okay. We are coming back to you to say that we are funding it. Right. I understand. You've authorized, but, you've authorized okay. the expenditure for the base contract. Now we're asking for your approval to award the bid alternate <coughs> dollar value to add to this base contract that you've previously approved. All right. Okay, Dan, I, I understand that, uh, that I, obviously we did approve this in October, okay? But, all right, I'm learning. I'm being educated on this yeah. as well. However, the bottom line is that these add-ons did come after we approved it. That seems like a fact to me. And also, um, there was funds available to finance these add-ons, correct? 
Well, that is what we identified between when we um, were able to award the base bid to when we're now, we are now able to award this ad alt, that we identified funding to go towards this particular part of the project in between that time, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> which is why we weren't able to do it originally. So it did take us some time to identify the funds and to make those decisions, which is why it's delayed okay. from the original action. We do try to do it all at once, but no, no, I understand. I understand, but I, 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 am still seeing the bottom line. I believe, but okay, fair enough. Mr. Ginsburg, I, I think it's been said. Commissioner Griffin, is in order to try and get this thing moved today. Can we move it on the agenda towards the end, and maybe we can figure out oh. how we hire a local thirty-eight plumber. With all due respect, Commissioner, I'm not so sure. I think we need to resolve this issue. And I might say it seems to me it's a bigger issue, and it's one that Commissioner Mazzola raises. And that is, what, what, are the, what is the ability to specify which union assigns what responsibilities in these contracts and that he thinks the system's being gamed? Whether that's true or not is not for me to say, but it is the issue that he raises. And it seems to me that it's uh, going to continue to be raised in future contracts unless there's some resolution to that issue. So to that end, I, I do think, you know, and again, Commissioner Mazzola, we, uh, you know, you and I have had a chance to discuss this a, a couple times and totally understand where you sit. And, uh, you know, in your professional capacity and as a, as a commissioner, we have the responsibility of, you know, balancing a lot of different considerations to deliver projects for the public. But um, I can... Uh, commit to you uh, because we did follow up on this that uh, uh, that Bauman will sit down with you and kind of talk through these issues so if that if that helps Commissioner Louie um, so it so a topic like this an item <clears throat> like this will continue to come up and I think what we see here going on is uh, isn't easy solve, but the problem is, Dan, when you said you have a you have a problem with some plumbers taking smaller jobs, they prefer the longer jobs. But then we hear Commissioner Mazzola saying that there's a waiting line of people that would take these smaller jobs because. Um, so I think it's maybe a communication thing that's going on here. So I think we can move forward because the work needs to be done. And if the parties can off, off the meeting just line people up, line the local 38 plumbers up, it's just a, 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 an easy solution here. No, I, I appreciate that. I do think some of it's miscommunication and it's a lot of hearsay that we get stuck in the crossfire, so to speak, as city staff. Uh, I think Phil had uh, mentioned that we would be happy to meet with the commissioner and Mike Bauman specifically on this project, but I also think it would be wise to bring an OLSC on this as well. I've had multiple discussions with them without a lot of true clarity from their division um, on the, the differences and the requirements under the, the union contract codes between different union groups, right. uh, but having them at the table would be helpful as well. Anecdotally, though, I have run into projects before where OLSC has stepped to the plate and actually has uh, 
find or, or track down contractors who have had to game the system at projects that I've managed. And so we've gone back and recalculated uh, fees and stuff for laborers who did work so that they got paid the, the appropriate prevailing wage for the contract. So they are doing their jobs. I think all city staff are under uh, overburdened at the moment. Um, but it's important, uh, as everyone up here is saying, that this isn't a one-off. This is every project we touch has irrigation in it. So I think coming to a resolution on this that everyone here is happy with and that we have OLSC on board to help support the department, who's the lead agency on, you know, tracking that will, right. be, will be key. Um, thank you, Dan. Commissioner Mazzola. Uh, yeah, thank you. I just want to thank Dan for your comments and Phil and the board members. You know, I'm not trying to derail this, but I just wanted to get this issue out there so everybody kind of understands it and where I'm coming from. So if you guys decide to pass through this today, that's fine. Um, I'll vote no still until I'm comfortable um, that they will hire a plumber. Um, you know, we can't knowingly, we can't knowingly fund a project that is breaking a law by not paying prevailing wage. I'd, I'd love to see factual sheets from OLSC that says that this company has ever paid the correct prevailing wage to a plumber that on any of their jobs they're done. Not just this one, because they could probably come up with that easily, but all their prior jobs, I guarantee they have not paid the plumber prevailing wage. Um, but even more importantly than that, there should be somebody that has the right skill set from the right craft doing that work. More importantly than just paying the right prevailing wage would not be good enough for me sitting here. I think the right craft should be doing that type of work. So if it's spec that there's a plumber supervisor, there should be a plumber supervisor. Um, like I said, I have 300 sitting on my out-of-work book. Any of them will take that job right now. So I appreciate the dialogue more than anything. Um, I appreciate the understanding of where I'm coming from, and I look forward to continuing this conversation with you guys um, and being upfront on this and hopefully come to a resolution. Thank you, Commissioner. On that note, um, I would add that uh, th there isn't any ill intent on the part of the department or the employees or anybody involved in this. It, it is simply a question of how, what kind of language are we going to use and what are we going to commit to and do it. And I think that uh, if Commissioner Mazzola would meet with Bauman and we could get a report back, I'm curious about this because it isn't going to go away, and, uh, the, and particularly the issue, if he has 300 plumbers who take the job tomorrow and you're hearing from the, that the, they won't, let, let's sort that out and let's try and uh, move this as far as we can toward permanent resolution uh, today. So with that... We have a motion. The chair would entertain a second on the motion. Second. It's been moved and seconded. Could you, commission, uh, could you call the roll, please? Yes. Um, Commissioner Buell. Aye. Commissioner Anderson. Aye. Commissioner Griffin. A very reluctant aye. Commissioner Louie. Aye. Commissioner Hallisey. Aye. Commissioner Jupiter-Jones. Aye. Commissioner Mazzola. No. Thank you all. Thank you. So moved. Okay, we are now on item seven, the San Francisco Zoo. I believe we have <coughs> Tanya calling in from the San Francisco Zoo, and I will be moving over to the laptop to put the, her presentation up. Yeah, I got you. Jeanette, can you unmute the... Um, the caller, I believe it's Tanya. Tanya, can you raise your hand by pressing star three? Uh, 
And then Jeanette, you can unmute that, that caller. Tanya, are you there? Tanya, you're unmuted. Go ahead and try talking. You might need to unmute your own phone. Can you hear me now, Ashley? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, thank you. Sorry about that. Uh, we are uh, doing some improvements to our IT and security cameras in light of re recent thefts, thefts throughout the zoo world. Um, Central Park Zoo, uh, Houston Zoo, and others are suffering from copycat cases of thefts. We've endured that ourselves. So uh, we're installing as many cameras behind the scenes as we can um, to ensure the safety of our animals, but it's throwing everything off. Anyway, with my, I'll start my PowerPoint, um, and you should see a, an adorable photo of a long-eared rabbit, and hairy rabbit, we call her. Uh, happy Lunar Year. It is Year of the Rabbit and the Hare. We call them lagomorphs here at the zoo. Um, there are differences between rabbits and hares, and at our youth exploration zone, we teach children about the difference between rabbits and hares, as well as showcase uh, special breeds like the one you see here. I'll then move to the next slide, and it is with great pleasure and relief that uh, uh, with easing pandemic regulations, uh, we were able to reopen the winter camp uh, to near capacity um, uh, during the holiday season, and we also were able to offer scholarships to uh, the children of refugees. We plan to do offer the same scholarships for our spring and summer camps. Uh, we, my next uh, slide is uh, a big thanks to our partner, a state agency, First Five of California. This is an agency that supports children's health and wellness. At our Komodo Dragon exhibit, um, we showcase their initiative, Dragon Breath, which teaches kids to stop, take a breath when they're stressed and anxious. Uh, First five will return to the zoo tomorrow and Saturday uh, and set up shop at the playground. Uh, here's an example. And they will actually work with parents, family members, uh, and the kids themselves so that we can all take a breath uh, when feeling anxious or stressed. Uh, my next slide uh, is a screenshot of our website on Groundhog's Day. Um, trying to encourage change and not the same old, same old on Groundhog's Day. Uh, we challenged our visitors to change one way for one day to help wildlife. Um, if they made the pledge online or at the zoo, they received free admission. It was so popular, uh, a thousand online pledges, thousands at the zoo. We extended it through the birthday anniversary of Ms. Rosa Parks, who of course exemplified the power of change. Uh, we thank all that participated in this and we hope we make some change. Uh, my next uh, uh, slide is the best Valentine's Day gift of all. 
the arrival of a reticulated giraffe. Uh, she comes to us at 13 years of age, 16 feet tall, and 2,100 pounds. So uh, this is a guest <laughs> with heft. Uh, she's actually part of the reticulated giraffe uh, breeding program. This is the only species of giraffe that is considered threatened by the IUCN. Um, we have moved her from another zoo to ensure genetic diversity of this species as most of our females have bred uh, more than once already. And then just lastly, a fun slide for Valentine's Day. It was not just for humans um, as part of our animal wellness and enrichment programs. Uh, we use positive treats and behavioral methods to uh, alleviate stress when animals receive medical procedures. Uh, of course, their ideas of treats might be different than ours. The wolverines received kale popsicles, and there were hidden bananas for giraffes, as well as treats for all of our animals on Valentine's Day. And that uh, finishes my report. Thank you. Is there any public comment in room 416 on item seven? Seeing none, do we have any hands raised? Okay, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Thank you, Tanya. We are now on item eight. Thank you, Ash. <laughs> We're now on item eight, RPD budget overview, fiscal year 23-24 and fiscal year 24-25. Commissioners, I just emailed you uh, a copy of the resolution that Antonio will mention at some point, so please um, take a look at that. Good morning, Antonio Guerra, Director of Administration and Finance, and with me today is our Budget Manager, Tiffany Wong, who is loading up the PowerPoint. Uh, we're here to talk about the two-year proposed budget. Um, and let's go to the next slide. I wanna walk through the agenda very quickly. Um, it's a lengthy presentation, I'll try to get through it as entertainingly and but briefly as possible, uh, starting off on the budget strategy principles and outreach, the proposed revenue budget, the proposed expenditure budget, proposed capital budget, and proposed budget investments. Next slide. So first, our strategies, principles, and outreach. Next slide. Uh, we, have, we have four key documents plus equity metrics that we use when we develop our budget. We have a strategic plan, an operational plan, a capital plan, and as well as the racial equity action plan and equity metrics mentioned as part of Prop B. Next slide. So today as part of the resolution, we're asking you to adopt new revised budget principles and the key revisions I've decided to strike and underline. The first is Essentially, we're making budget choices and taking out language regarding the pandemic, but which most directly align with the department's strategic plan and commitment to equity. On principle five, we've added that not only are we upholding our responsibility as environmental stewards, but we're also supporting the city's climate adaptation policies. And on principle six, pursue new ideas and partnerships that improve service delivery, operational efficiency, and which continue to replace earned revenues impacted by the pandemic. Next slide. So regarding our budget outreach, we've had many meetings. We've met with members of the public, staff, and other community stakeholders to ensure diverse input was received and incorporated into the development of the budget. We've had two town hall budget meetings, one of them virtual. 
We've uh, come to full commission twice. We've, we've also come to the operations committee with an update on February 2nd. We had um, a all staff brown bag presentation with pizza on February 1st. And uh, unfortunately there wasn't a quorum at this uh, Prozac meet, the Prozac meeting in February. So we will be headed there March 7th. So under the proposed revenue budget, next slide. So the recreation and parks, uh, sorry about that. Recreation and parks earned in program revenue budget has been in a state of flux since March 2020 when the pandemic started. I've mentioned this before, but if you look at the last full year prior to the pandemic, uh, when everything was open and we're running full recreation programming, we had 51.8 million in actual revenue. Two years later in fiscal year 2021, actual and earned program revenue is $29.6 million. That's a $22 million hit to our actual revenue. Um, in this budget, we are projecting 62.1 million in fiscal year 23-24. That's 4.2 million higher than this current year that we are in. And the following year, 64.7 million. And that's 2.6 million higher than fiscal year 23-24. Uh, this is a trend of our earned and program revenues, just going over what I discussed over the text. Um, the one thing I'd point out, if you look at the two somewhat neon green lines, we have the 22-23 budget of 57.9 million in earned and program revenue. We had in the base 58.7 million uh, in, uh, for fiscal year 23-24, and we've upped that to 62.1 million in this proposed budget. Next slide. So where did we end up bumping up this revenue? Uh, in a few spots. So the first row there, garages and paid parking, we are proposing a projection of $8.2 million. And this is based somewhat on uh, current trends we've received from the SFMTA over the last month. Uh, additionally, special events, that third row goes down from 8.51 million in this budget to 7.69 million. That's a little bit lower, essentially, you know, it's kind of, in fiscal year 21, 22, we had 6.61. We're expecting a little bit more. We think we're kind of right-sizing that line. But one of the big jumps is in our admissions budget. In 22, 23, we had 8.14 million, and we are bumping that up to over 11 million. Uh, and that's really due to the success of the Gardens of Golden Gate Park uh, program. Uh, we're doing very well in terms of collecting admission revenue there. Program fees go up a little bit. Um, for the most part, everything else is relatively the same, but those are the big changes. Go ahead and next slide, Tiffany. Uh, the proposed open space fund, this is kind of a long-term trend when you look at the revenue overall. It's been steady growth. If you look at those blue bars, it's, it's marching up nicely. We did assume as part of fiscal year 23-24 that we we're gonna receive $79.6 million. And as I've mentioned before, the city controller's office, before we even opened the budget system, knocked that down to $77.7 million. And so that's a $1.9 million reduction, which doesn't look that much when it's just like a shaving of a bar chart, but $1.9 million does buy us quite a lot. Um, next slide. So on to the proposed expenditure budget. So our budget in fiscal year 23, 24, 
of 367.8 million is 126.5 million or 52% more than the fiscal year 22-23 budget of 241.3 million. Wow, that's a lot. So where's that all coming from? I'll get to that in a second when we get to the capital projects because it's not out of our operating revenue. I do want to mention that the general fund support of 91.2 million, and that's both the baseline and what we receive from the mayor's office for things like additional park rangers, is 3.72 million or 4% more than the 87.5 million we're receiving in the current year. And the reason you often hear us talk about we're getting an additional $3 million uh, each year we have what are known as addbacks, where the Board of Supervisors uses funds from our budget to add certain things um, uh, as part of their process. So we had a large reduction um, to our park ranger staffing uh, salary and fringe in year one. So 3.72 million increase in 23-24. And in 24-25, it's essentially a baseline um, adjustments for the incremental new costs related to new annualization of new positions, COLAs, healthcare, retirement, basically anything that we're projecting will increase. So if you look at this budget by program, um, you might notice usually when we present this, the pie charts are relatively the same, but this time around it's different because we are budgeting $105 million for the SF Marina Improvement Project in uh, fiscal year 23-24. So when you look at that left bar chart, the marina is 120.3 million, that's 33% of the 23-24 budget. Um, but our operating side is probably more fairly reflected on the 24-25 the proposed. Uh, parks and open space, 47%, recreation, 17%, and structural maintenance and capital planning. And that's probably a fair assumption. We do have to, to budget the remaining allocation for this marina project um, in the upcoming fiscal year. Next slide. So if you look at the budget by account, um, year one, because of that $105 million for the marina, the capital outlay is rather massive, 143.6 million, 30, uh, 39%, uh, which dwarfs the salary and the fringe amounts. But in fiscal year 24-25, the more realistic uh, and uh, annual projections that we have, salary is about 43%, fringe 16%. The other thing I'd point out here on this budget by account is we have a large uh, piece of our pie chart in both years that goes to what are known as work orders between departments. They're interdepartmental service agreements, and that's where we get SFPUC charges, city attorney charges, uh, you know, various charges that are um, that don't necessarily come from us operating, but are charged by other departments. Next slide. So speaking of work orders, I think it was Commissioner Louie at the Operations Commission said, what, what should we be worried about? What, <laughs> what could happen? Um, one of the things we just recently found out is that the SFPUC is proposing a new stormwater charge. As many of you know, we have a combined sewer system that treats both the wastewater and stormwater. Uh, the SFPUC is proposing the stormwater charge that would essentially not be charged by how much water volume we use as a department, but the area of our land. And so, as you can imagine, if we're 19% of the land in the city, that's a significant amount. And it, the charge would be split between permeable land, which, you know, the lawn in our parks, 
versus impermeable land like a rec center or a tennis court or a pickleball court. So those two separate charges, they're working on this right now. Our current wastewater budget is about 1.77 million. We've been told specifically within that wastewater budget, and by the way, these are, we're still finding out and we're working with our partners at the SFPUC. It could be anywhere from a 50% to 90% increase uh, next fiscal year, followed by a 30 to 50% increase in fiscal year 24, 25. And we're also led to believe that these increases will continue over the next few years. Um, the other thing I'd point out, and I'm not even just talking about the, the water reduction measures that our operations team has um, been so diligent on, but just the average growth of the water budget, which includes the amount, the volume of water reduction, it's gone up on a cumulative average growth rate of about 8.9% since fiscal year 12-13, despite all these initiatives. So 2.86 million to 6.7 million. So this is something that I won't say it keeps me up at night. I, I will say that I'm very, very, very concerned. But we are working with the SFPUC, and we will continue to work with them. And that is also part of the resolution that I believe Ashley sent out. I'm going to ask you uh, to direct us to come back with you with more information on a stormwater charge. So to the proposed capital budget, so we are proposing to spend $15 million of general fund capital and facilities maintenance projects over the next two years. That was our traditional capital baseline amount. It fell below, um, I think at one point we were below 12 million. We've been slowly building it back up after um, our our revenue has recovered um, after the pandemic. Um, some of the highlights include $640,000 for concessions maintenance. This is a bump up of about $240,000, and I think we would be planning to use this at Beach Chalet. We have fencing work of $650,000, Camp Mather capital renewal of $600,000. That's an increase, and the centennial of Mather is coming up and ADA compliance for $800,000. We also have a $9 million request to the city's capital planning committee for a new roof of the, at the Palace of Fine Arts. Next slide. So the picture on your screen is a look from the East Marina out to the Golden Gate Bridge, and this is the project that I mentioned previously, the Marina project. Let's see the notes. So this is a, we're, we're proposing to allocate $105 million uh, to fully fund this project. The reason why we need all of the funding in fiscal year 23-24 is because we're looking to enter a CMGC contract process where we would need all the funding up front. Previous years, we've been allocating millions on an annual basis based on how much we were expecting to get reimbursed from PG&E for the work. Um, next slide. On to the proposed budget investments. So I've broken this into mayoral priorities. And the first one is a recovery of the local economy with a focus on downtown and the economic core. We're going to be increasing funding for recreation programming in both years, 500,000 in 23-24 and 1 million in 24-25. I'll have some more uh, recreation uh, investments in a moment. Uh, for financial planning and accounting, we're proposing a substitution of the finance and accounting manager to a 
finance director, uh, manager four. We're also upgrading the budget and grants manager uh, from a analyst, principal administrative analyst one to an analyst two. Uh, additionally, we're developing a new uh, pathway uh, in, involving the controller's office for a new accountant to join our team. It's uh, what they call the FAST team. Uh, we work with the controller's office on the hiring. They bring somebody in, help train them, and then we find a spot for them within our department. We're also uh, making an investment in our partnerships division. We're substituting one 1823 senior administrative analyst to a principal administrative analyst. We're substituting a 3302 to an 1823 senior administrative analyst and then a 3213 to an 1823 principal administrative analyst too, and providing funding for a new 1820 junior administrative analyst specializing in community outreach. So for improving public safety and street conditions, uh, we are proposing investment in our capital and planning accounting and procurement team. Uh, the way project positions work, they get charged to general um, obligation bond uh, projects. So technically, we don't necessarily see the full extent of the cost within the annual budget. But what we do expect is because not 100% of the time gets charged into the project, there's a little bit that goes into our capital program management budget of $100,000. We're proposing to add four off-budget finance <laughs> positions, two 1654 accountant threes, one 1823 senior administrative analyst, and one 1822 administrative analyst. And the, these positions would support capital and planning's delivery of the 2020 health and recovery bond. We're also um, on July 1st, and you will be seeing more information about this soon, um, the transfer of selected parks within the Mission Bay Park system to Reckon Park. Um, in last year's budget, we added 11 positions that were gonna be starting in May of 2023. Seven gardeners, a park section supervisor, two custodians, and one custodial assistant supervisor. And the hiring process is underway for those positions. As part of this budget, we're also requested, requesting a new park service area manager that would be uh, charged 50% to the mission Bay system, and 50% of their time would be spent on other parks. An additional gardener, two park rangers, and funding for utilities and structural maintenance at Mission Bay. And we are assuming that this, uh, this staff will be uh, reimbursed, uh, their, their work will be reimbursed by OCII. Of course, OCII, you know, they have the final budget decision on how much um, we will be receiving, but we are in a current MOU process with them. Uh, next slide. So for improving public safety and street conditions continued, we have a couple of positions in structural maintenance, um, a painter to a painter supervisor one, and a general laborer to a ornamental iron worker. Um, and then additionally, we had a previous uh, change in hiring that we're budgeting in, the, in this through this process, um, a 7344 carpenter that used to be a 7342 locksmith. Um, we are going to be requesting to the mayor's office um, additional park rangers. So the 2.1 million in 23-24 and 1.97 million in 24-25 is an estimate of what 15 rangers would get us. And to be clear, it's one dispatcher and rangers plus vehicles and equipment that goes into that uh, assumption. Next slide. 
Uh, speaking to the Rangers, one of the priorities for Mayor Breed is to reduce homelessness and transform mental health service delivery. And the one thing in that area that uh, this department currently does is work with the homeless outreach team, and that's going to continue. Next slide. So for accountability and equity and programming services and spending, uh, we are upgrading our disability access coordinator and program manager from an 1823 to a 6335. And the reason for that is because this revised classification and skill set will give that program manager the authority to make project design decisions. That's really important for our capital team. We're also going to be adding, uh, proposing to add $60,000 for counting technologies. So essentially, who is coming to our sites? And I, I think our general manager has said on more than one uh, occasion, if you don't count, you don't count. So this will provide greater accountability, process improvement, and enhanced decision making for leadership and all of us. Uh, we're gonna be adding new positions for human resources. Um, it's roughly $99,000 in position substitutions. Uh, one will be a, an analyst for employee and labor relations and one will be an analyst in exam and talent administration, and then there is a substitution for, for a 1246 uh, principal human resources analyst to a manager for. Next slide. So continuing with accountability and equity, we're continuing the equity program, which is funded through the sugary um, drinks tax dollars. Uh, we're gonna be use, using some of this program funding to, um, for the Bayview Safety Swim and Splash program, which is a program of the India Basin Waterfront Park Initiative. We're also gonna be funding a recreation coordinator in another position for Margaret Hayward Clubhouse, and $40,000 to expand the number of junior warriors team to include an additional 40, since the program is in demand. Uh, as part of last year's budget as well, we added new positions for 900 Ennis and Hers Playground Rec Center, uh, two custodians, two gardeners, and one custodial supervisor to support the work at those sites. Um, next slide. So staff recommendations and next steps. With this proposal and the resolution uh, provided, we are requesting that the commission approves the Recreation and Park Department's revised budget principles, approves the recommended budgets for the Recreation Park Department for fiscal year 23-24 and 24-25, and directs staff to present any new SFPUC stormwater charge to the San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission for review prior to their approval. And with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see, uh, Commissioner Anderson. Do you wanna to go to public comment first or? Oh, let's go to public okay. comment, sure. Okay. On item eight, the budget overview, is there any public comment in room 416? Come on up, Richard. And if there's anyone on our line who'd like to comment, you can dial star three to be added to the queue. Good morning, commissioners. I'm Richard Harris from the Public Golf Alliance. Um, I missed general public comment. Would like to give a very brief uh, thank you to the department, to the commission, um, and staff, particularly to Dana Ketchum, who worked very hard on the uh, lease and management agreement to uh, at Golden Gate Park 9, uh, which successfully came to uh, Board of Supervisors on Tuesday. So congratulations and thanks all around from the golf community. Um, 
now onto the budget. Um, I submitted very late yesterday um, a two-page letter. I don't know whether you have it. And I submitted one three-page letter on item nine, one two-page letter on item eight. Okay. Uh, because of the lateness, we had we had virtually no time to go through a very extensive document uh, of the budget. We have several issues having to do with different golf funds and maybe being recharacterized, maybe being moved, not knowing where they're going, um, and we can't answer that now. And and uh, uh, Mr. Guerra and and, uh, and uh, Tiffany Wong. Um, I, I don't expect them to answer that right now. We put them on paper, um, and we recommend that the uh, that the uh, golf budget, uh, the golf fund, which by statute needs to uh, needs to have a separate hearing on income and expenses, uh, and annually before your commission. Uh, that that would be a good device to that, that uh, department and the commission should institute going forward. Thank we would you. like to cooperate with department and commission in seeing that in the future. So, Richard, thank yes, you. Uh, you used up too much of your time yes. comp complimenting the staff on the work at, <laughs> at Golden Gate Park. Um, I did get a copy of your material, and I saw that you, you. copied staff, so yes. I'm going to ask them to respond to the specific questions you asked to you so you get them, and if there's remaining issues, let us know. Yes, thank you very okay. much. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Is there any other public comment in room 416? Is there anyone with their hand raised on our line? No hands raised, public comment is closed. Commissioners? I had one question, uh, Antonio, and it is, uh, and, and it, it's a small one, but I, you mentioned a $3 million increase in the park uh, patrol staff, uh, as I recall. And if that's new money, uh, does that imply that we'll be hiring up to fill positions with that money? And if that is the case, um, given, given the uncertainties of budgets and where we go, is there any assurance once someone's hired that there's going to be a continued position for them? Yeah, I, I think the plan at this moment is to discuss, and looking globally, there was a previous analysis that the general manager and director of operations, Denny Kern, um, often talk about that stated that based on a system of our size, we needed an additional 40 rangers. Um, last year from Mayor Breed, we received 10. This year, the general manager uh, has asked to um, present a 15 ranger proposal. And um, in essence, we're asking for additional general fund. We, you know, outside what we've previously received in the base. Um, now, we've had, you know, we have a fantastic relationship with the mayor's office. We've we continually work with them every budget, and the assumption is that that funding would continue. Um, I I don't imagine why it wouldn't. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't see why it wouldn't. So. All right, thank you. I, I understand there's no guarantees in this world, but that's as good as you can hope for. Yeah. Commissioner President, Anderson, I don't think that the oh, mayor's office would give us 
would support an ongoing um, budget request with one-time sources. So I think you know they they look at our our budget investments at requ and requests as either one-time or ongoing. And obviously, this would be an ongoing. I think okay. the combination of taking on new space, the mayor's uh, commitment to revitalizing downtown, which does require um, our, our rangers have been really successful, and, and kudos to Chief Murphy and, and then uh, Assistant Chief Santiago and the entire the entire team. Uh, uniformed, trained, do not carry guns. A mix of ambassadors, but they, they they have been very successful at, at uh, you know allowing people to, to feel safe um, in spaces, and you know it's a twenty four seven shop, three hundred and sixty five days a year. Uh, it is also a shop where where rangers do occasionally get injured. Um, we we really need more bodies to meet the level of service that. Um, I think that the that our our park users uh, expect, and frankly, that our elected officials want. Uh, the number of requests we get for ranger staffing, which is you know candidly a little bit more cost efficient than other forms of uh, public protection. Yeah. No, I, I'm well aware of the need, and and think we need many more. And I think they're doing an excellent job. I was more curious on the prospects of making sure it was permanent funding. So when yeah. we hire, we're not letting someone go after right. a year because the budget gets cut. <clears throat> Uh, Commissioner Anderson. Okay, thank you. Um, I just wanted to throw a few ideas out there, just take note. It could be that I'm speaking from complete ignorance, and I would appreciate a follow-up on this. But okay. um, you raised a number of things, or a number of things are in the budget. So on, um, on May 16, 2019, we agreed to dynamic pricing in the gardens. And at that time, it was suggested that there be a one-year follow-up. Now, of course, we had the pandemic. But I would like that follow-up. I would like to see how that's been going. And I also believe that we should consider timed entry and increasing fees, because every time I go to those gardens, they're just absolutely thronged with people, which is great. So I think we should capture opportunity there. Um, also, as a former labor and employment attorney, I'm sort of curious about vacation liability. I want to make sure that we're on top of that and making sure that people take their vacation. They need it, and we shouldn't carry so much liability on the books. Also, there may be an, entry, uh, uh, there may be an issue around lead pay. I think there's not a full understanding amongst employees on how lead pay works and whether or not it applies to volunteers, which I personally think should not. But I think there needs to be clarification. What does the MOU mean about lead pay? Um, on new hires, particularly in gardens, I think we should really consider placing, um, we should move further towards hiring and placing workers with specialized experience and skills commensurate with the unique qualities of the sections in the department, such as the botanical gardens, the Japanese tea garden, and the conservatory of flowers. Um, I would just like to point out for the purposes of the public that I believe that the marina project, which is going to be over $120 million, uh, a lot of that money is coming from a settlement that we have with PG&E. So people should understand that that money is coming from an outside source, correct? That is correct. Okay, good. 
Now, I am very um, feeling very indignant about <laughs> these stormwater surcharges from the PUC. I, I think of that as like a husband charging a wife for services in the home, you know? Um, this, is, this is a family show. Be careful. <laughs> I didn't say what kind of services. It could be, you know, putting up a curtain rod. Um, it feels false to me. Um, I'm, I'm probably, again, showing my ignorance. You might want to elucidate the public on how this works. But I tell you what, as a voter who has always supported our park bonds, and I think $15 million is coming <clears throat> from park bonds, right? That's actually from our general fund. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Oh, many millions are coming. Yes. That money comes from the taxpayers for parks. And then we have to turn around and pay it to the PUC, which is another entity within our government. It just feels false. But help me here. Help me understand this. Am I, am I wrong about this? Are my instincts? Help me move my instincts in the right direction, please. I, um, I want to be, because we are working with the SFPUC on options, I, I, I do want to be as diplomatic as possible. Um, I don't, but go ahead. <laughs> Does it feel unfair? I mean, for our recreation fees, we are capped at CPI. The SFPUC is a public monopoly that can say we need 9% a year for the next 10 years. And we, we have a cost of service, and we need to charge that amount. So it's a different type of relationship um, than the one that we have. And the other issue that we have uh, is that we're a general fund baseline department now. We used to receive what was known as a target reduction from the mayor's budget office that said, OK, we know about all these costs coming, and I need you to reduce your costs. And if you want to add anything, let us know. We'll think about it. Um, now we're, as a baseline department, these increased costs, we have to find a way to pay them. So it's a little bit more challenging, even though we have much more control and an ability to uh, strategically prioritize investments right now in front of the commission, we also have greater responsibility um, when these increased costs come. Now, is it, you know, personally, do I, I, I think it's fair for these large increases to happen? Uh, you know, personally, no, and that's why we're working with the SFPUC on any type of potential solution. And, uh, you know, we met with them last week, met with them uh, yesterday, and we'll, we're going to continue to meet with them, so. And I know that you will be diplomatic and sublime, so thank you. Uh, but I very much like the addendum to the staff recommendation that we not um, consider any further increases in water or wastewater surcharges without it coming back to the commission and we have it, a chance to uh, consider it whether or not there'll be an approval to pay more money for that. Um, okay, let's see. I think that's it. Thank you very much, Commissioner Hallisey. Antonio, this is the third time I have heard uh, your presentation. <laughs> and I'm sorry. It, no, no, no. <laughs> Please don't apologize. I'm about to uh, compliment you. I heard it at the all-staff meeting. I heard it in operations. I'm hearing it today. And I know there's some challenges coming. 
all right? But you paint it in a way that is very hopeful, and I appreciate that. And a little walk down memory lane for General Manager Ginsburg. I'm not sure if the commission is aware of people in the room. For years and years and years, kids did not pay for facilities within the Rec and Park Department. Uh, baseball diamonds, uh, you know, baseball field, uh, basketball gymnasiums for tournaments, leagues, etc. Now there was a, a terrific man named Doug Lee, Pete Okendos, and other. You just you'd go into the office, you'd book your time, and there was never any charge. And it turned out, though, that I'm a big youth advocate, and I ran leagues and tournaments for years. And the first time I got a bill, I was very upset, and I was very fortunate to get an audience with General Manager Ginsburg. We met at a little breakfast place uh, on Arguello, right off McAllister, and we sat down, he heard me out, and then I listened, and he said, if we don't start charging youth groups, I'm going to have to lay people off. And I want to say that the best part of this presentation is that this is not going to cost anybody their job within this department. That was Phil's mantra in, I think it was 2011 when we met. It still is. I know that, and I commend him for that. And at that all-staff meeting, you know, you had 300-plus people in there. And it was like a celebration, a party. It wasn't like we were going to have to go through this drudgery of talking about crunching a budget. And I think the camaraderie in this department is, is tremendous. And it was due to the presentation you gave that day. And more than anything, it's due to the employees of RPD knowing that Phil has their back. So I do know we have challenges coming forward. But the, the bottom line and the best part about your report and what I know is to come in this department is no one is going to lose their jobs. So thank you very much for your presentation again, and that's a compliment. It's a very good one. And Phil, thank you for your commitment to all of your people. Thank you, Commissioner Halsey. Just um, uh, uh, w one addendum for the public, and I know that you understand this this nuance, but um, while we do charge in for some limited reasons for our leagues, there is no charge for youth athletic fields as long as uh, it serves residents and the league offers scholarships. That's our threshold. Um, there are some actually for-profit sports mm -hmm. sports leagues around, and then we don't. Um, uh, there are no fees to schools at all for mm. for events during the week. But I do understand some yeah. have to be charged. Some do, and yeah. there's a reason for that. Yep, because we've expanded facilities, <coughs> we've expanded staff, we're yep. offering more programs. And the bottom line, you're saving jobs. We're a very not-for-profit organization. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Commissioner Griffin. Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, I, I just, I'm blown away by the marina bills and, or budgets and the wastewater budgets. Can you explain why they're so high? So with the marina, it's a one-time issue. Um, we Is need, so it's $120 million. No. Yeah, it's the, within the marina itself for next year, 
Um, and I think that's why you're referring to the size of the marina project. It's a $120 million project. We need $105 million appropriated in order to set up the entire contract for the work. We're not going to get it all done next fiscal year. Hmm. But, uh, and that's going to be reimbursed by PG&E as part of the settlement. Antonio, let me add out just a little bit of okay. um, uh, context. Um, so, so our budget that an, that Antonio presents is both our uh, annual operating costs and our our capital budget. Um, as you know, Antonio often says, and I'll, I'll highlight it: capital budgets are lumpy. Um, funds get budgeted uh, when they need to be appropriated or when they come in. So, for example, if we got a large philanthropic gift, you'd have this lump of X millions of dollars. Here we have the settlement with PG&E, which is showing up in our budget this year for what could prove to be a 10-year capital project to renovate the East Harbor. It's just that the uh, construction model is called a, a CMGC agreement and does require uh, funding uh, in place and appropriated right now, even though it won't all be spent. So uh, next year, you could be shocked by the fact that it will look like we have cut our budget by $120 million. And we will have done so, hopefully, without any layoffs. Um, but it's just the way that the that large capital expenditures show up, show up in our budget. And it's not for dredging, and we have our amazing harbor master here, so I'm glad he's here to give him a little bit of props. Uh, we, I believe we have one of the best harbor masters in the country um, who manages this marina so incredibly well. We do have challenges with ongoing dredging, which is uh, an impact of climate and the way the bay floor moves across the marina and the need to constantly... Uh, keep a channel for boats to get in and out of the harbor. One of the things that you all voted on last year was a small assessment to boaters to subsidize the cost of that dredging, which has been actually very, very, very important. We're still subsidizing it a wee bit, but I'm hoping that over time we, we get out of the business of subsidizing the cost of moving sand across the bay floor. Um, but uh, this is not that. This is the much larger uh, East Harbor renovation, which also includes some really exciting pieces on the West Harbor. We may be potentially moving the fuel dock. There's additional recreation opportunities contemplated for non-boaters and a whole lot of habitat restoration and sea level rise adaptation strategies built into the project. And I might add, because I was at least peripherally part of all this, that, that the negotiation with PG&E was very much to the city's advantage in Reckon Park, and I, it really was a great effort over a long period of time. And the waste walk. Yes, it's... <laughs> It's quite large. Um, so what we've been told by the SFPUC is that they've been contemplating this charge for years. Um, it's a combined sewer system through almost the entire city. And the original charge, what, what, what departments currently pay, is based on the volume of water used. So if you have a parking lot, you were paying zero. And now what they're saying, they, they just apparently a few years ago, they added a charge for a situation like that. Um, but the idea is during a storm like the one we had in early January, and if you have this water that is not collected and it is entering the uh, system that is dual uh, sewage and storm water, then we're not in their eyes that they're not calculating accurately um, the true cost of the storm water per property. 
So that is, that is the analysis that we've received from them and their interpretation. Um, now we're 19% of the city, I've been told. It's very large. Um, and it's, it's a big, uh, there's more to come. We're, we're working with them on what this charge is gonna look like in our budget. And so those discussions are ongoing. They are gonna bring a rate consultant analysis to the rate fairness board where these rates get set and then we should know more thank you so much yeah and I, before i call on commissioner louie it, it might be interesting to know if there are other cities with combined wastewater and stormwater and how they uh, reconcile public use uh, because it, we're all part of a family and it's all part of taxpayers' dollars one way or another. So it seems to me there's a lot of room to negotiate on this. Uh, Commissioner Louie, did you want to? No. Commissioner Mazzola, can you repeat what you said? The answer is we are the only city in California that does that. Well, California may, uh, that, that has a combined system? Yes. Got it. Thank you. Really? Um, thank that's... you, thank you, Antonio. Oh, oh. I was just going to say, I think that, isn't that related to the fact that we're both a city and a county, Commissioner? Isn't uh, is that was that? Well, we we ought to research that. But at any rate, it just seems to me we may learn from other how other people do it because I believe it's kind of an interfamily dispute. You, you got the same budget to run the operation, and who's going to pay for what? So, Commissioner Louis, uh, President Buell. Yes. It, the, the surcharge percentages of 50% to 90% increase for next year, and then the following year, the big figures of 30%, that just is a lot. Um, and, you know, despite all the water saving initiatives, that, that, that's disturbing. And so, President Buell, um, is there a way that we can bring back the topic of the there certainly is water uh, increase back I, to our commission i believe there's a modified resolution uh that asks in the very last paragraph that the uh stormwater any increase in stormwater fees be brought back to this commission for approval before we put that in the budget SF TV, can you please put the yeah, screen I've asked up? that that go up so we can see right. it it's right there you can you can zoom in if so, so I think that issue uh, is addressed in it. And so I see, Commissioner Anderson, was that your request? Yeah, I wanted to request that go up because right. it, it was emailed to us and there was also language in the packet. Okay, so, good. Yeah. And, and uh, General Manager Ginsburg, did you have some, something short to add to this? I sure do. <laughs> um, just uh, one reflection and then uh, just uh, a thank you. Uh, the reflection is, um, you know, it is... Interesting, this is not the only example of departments passing costs on to other departments. Uh, this one is particularly surprising uh, and painful. Um, and it, you know, it does raise some legitimate citywide policy questions about how the city budgets. And, you know, what is happening is it's almost like a little bit of a maybe a wee bit of an arms race in which everybody's looking to pass their costs on to other agencies. And it's, it's very challenging. Uh, this one is very, you know, the, the amount of money we're talking here is the, is really is, you know, closes rec centers. 
uh, it, it does lay off gardeners. I mean, it, it's significant. We so, shall flush it all out. Yes, thank you. So to that end, um, and well done, by the way. Bravo. Um, I wanted to just take a second to thank uh, Antonio and Tiffany uh, and Dana Ketchum, who's also very involved in our budget. Uh, Diana Jew from our, uh, our our new fabulous director of people and culture, and all of the you know the the leadership team. The budget is a very collaborative effort that is captained very 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 gracefully and successfully by by Antonio and Tiffany, who is very you know sort of quietly managing the slides, but you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she might be the brains behind the operation. Um, right. And anyway, it is a fantastic team. So uh, we are actually, this was not a simple budget. Last year's budget was much easier for us. This is a, a challenging one. And I'm really proud of the way our, our, our team has come together to, to present this to you. We, we couldn't agree more. And it is challenging times. With that, I don't see any other requests. I'd so like to move approval as reflected on that piece of paper up there. <laughs> As modified, yes, with the amendment. Second, it's been moved and seconded. Any other comments or questions? Seeing Thank you, none. Antonio and All those in favor? Aye. So moved. Thank you, Antonio and staff. No opposition. Was that unanimous? Unanimous. Great. We are now on item nine, park evaluations report. Hello, commissioners. Hello, Phil. Uh, my name is Ben. I am with the Recreation and Parks Department, and I'm here with my colleague Craig from the uh, Controller's Office. Uh, and we're here to present the fiscal year 22 Park Maintenance Standards Annual Reports. And uh, I was at the Rec and Park all staff meeting, so I do know that we have a couple of new commissioners who may not have seen this uh, report before. So, what it essentially is, is it's a voter. Uh, passed Prop C back in 2003, uh, which essentially said that we as a department need to maintain our parks and then report on uh, that maintenance. Um, and as Phil mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, we have been on a two-year hiatus uh, because of uh, the pandemic. Uh, so the last annual report that we released and presented was uh, fiscal year 19. So there was no report for fiscal year 20 or uh, 21. Um, so since fiscal year 19, there has been a little bit of change uh, internally. Uh, we developed a brand new park evaluation tool uh, in-house with the help of consultants. Uh, it's on a very powerful platform called Esri. Um, so that's a tool that we use um, to evaluate our parks. Um, so basically, I will be going over the agenda with you guys, and then my brilliant colleague Craig here will be doing uh, the bulk of the presentation. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that COVID-19 impact. Uh, we're going to share all of the previous scores. Uh, we did have some scores for fiscal year 20, um, even though we didn't have a full annual report. Um, so we wanted to, you know, um, take a look and analyze that data, didn't want to waste it. Um, and then we're also going to be sharing our park maintenance uh, dashboard, uh, which is a very amazing dashboard that is open to the public. Uh, anyone can go on look at their favorite parks, look at data, look at trends. Uh, it, it's, very, it's a very awesome tool. Uh, and then finally, we'll be looking ahead to see uh, what's next for uh, next fiscal year. Um, so with that, I will pass the baton over to Craig. Uh, 
who essentially put this whole thing together by himself. So, very amazing. <laughs> Good afternoon. San Francisco's mobilization and response to the COVID-19 pandemic in March of 2020 led to a pause of park evaluations. As a consequence, fiscal year 2020 only saw three of four quarters of evaluations, and fiscal year 2021 saw no evaluations at all. Despite fiscal year 2020 having partial data due to this interruption, the results are still statistically representative and valid. Evaluations recommenced in fiscal year 2022. Next slide. This line chart shows the citywide average park maintenance score from fiscal year 15 to fiscal year 22. The citywide average score is the average of all park maintenance scores across the 166 parks evaluated as part of the program. Each park maintenance score can range from 0% to 100% based off of how many maintenance standards are met. The citywide average score is an important indicator used in many reports including RPD's own strategic plan, the mayor's budget book, the controller's office annual performance reports, and the public-facing city scorecards. The score was 91% in fiscal year 2022, down one percentage point from fiscal year 2020. Since fiscal year 19, RPD has met or exceeded its citywide average score goal in the annual performance results report. The target goal has since been raised from 90% to 91% as of fiscal year 22. RPD is also interested in tracking the proportion of parks which receive a score of 85% or higher. A score of 85% generally indicates a park is well-maintained and its features are in good condition. In fiscal year 22, 89% of parks exceeded that threshold. These maps show the locations of the highest and lowest scoring parks across the city based off of the top and bottom 10% of park scores each year. High-scoring parks are shown in teal, while low-scoring parks are shown in yellow. The LEP map shows high and low-scoring parks from fiscal year 15 to 19. The fiscal year 2019 Park Maintenance Standards Report stated that, quote, there are still persistent geographic disparities. The lowest-scoring parks tend to be in the southern half of the city while the highest scoring parks tend to be in the northern half of the city. <clears throat> the map on the right shows high and low scoring parks for fiscal year 20 and 22. It shows that the geographic disparities of the past have been moderately reversed with a more equitable distribution of both high and low scoring parks across the city than in the past. Equity zones are neighborhoods disproportionately affected by environmental health risks, such as air pollution, drinking water contamination, or children's lead risk from housing. High quality parks 
in equity zones can help to mitigate these environmental health risks. After an analysis of best practices, RPD developed a new standard for mapping equity zones in fiscal year 2022 based off of the Environmental Justice Communities tool that was developed by the San Francisco Planning Department. The teal bubbles on the map represent parks in equity zones. The line charts on the right track the average park maintenance scores for equity zones versus parks in non-equity zones. In fiscal year 22, equity zone parks averaged 89%, while non-equity zone parks averaged 92%. These compared to the citywide average of 91%. This chloropleth map shows each of the city's supervisor district maintenance scores, calculated as the average of each district's park scores. Darker colors indicate higher scores. The table beside the map shows each district's score in fiscal year 22. The highest district score was 93%, while the lowest was 87%. Districts scored similarly in fiscal year 22, with 10 of 11 supervisorial districts scoring within two percentage points of the citywide average. This compares favorably to fiscal year 15, when only 7 of 11 districts scored within two points of the citywide average. Six parks received perfect scores of 100% in fiscal year 2022 the highest number of perfect scoring parks in a single year. There were five perfectly scoring parks in fiscal year 20, none in fiscal year 19, and one in fiscal year 18. The table on the left shows the names and neighborhoods of these perfect scoring parks, while the map on the right shows where those parks are located across the city. This line chart shows the average scores for passive versus active recreation features. Passive recreation features are those experienced indirectly, like greenscape, hardscape, or trees. Active recreation, by contrast, are those features experienced directly, like athletic fields, children's play areas, or restrooms. In fiscal year 22, Passive recreation features averaged 93%, while active recreation features trailed at 88%. Historically, active recreation scores trail passive recreation scores because they require more frequent maintenance, especially when park attendance surges. The fiscal year 2022 annual report was streamlined to showcase the most notable maintenance trends and data highlights while the online interactive dashboard was overhauled and expanded. I will now give a brief walkthrough of the updated dashboard. Residents can learn more about the park evaluation process here on the about page. The citywide scores tab lets readers examine different measures of park maintenance across the entire city and for supervisor districts. 
Readers can click on buttons, use drop-down filters, and hover over data visualizations to reveal additional information. The Equity Zone tab provides readers with a detailed understanding of environmental health risks and allows for the direct comparison of equity zone versus non-equity zone park scores and evaluation data. The Park Features tab allows readers to find the best parks suited to their interests, like one with a well-maintained tennis court, dog play area, or a community garden. RPD also uses these feature scores to better plan maintenance needs across the park system by identifying the features with the most maintenance needs. Lastly, the park lookup tool helps readers zero in on a specific park to learn more about its maintenance levels. So that is essentially our presentation for the fiscal year 22 uh, park maintenance standards. So looking ahead, uh, we will be looking to add uh, additional data tools to the dashboard, um, both externally and internally. Um, so we uh, essentially want to improve uh, the user experience, both end user and uh, internal staff uh, overall. Um, and um, yeah, that is it. I will open the floor to any questions. So as a reminder, this is discussion only, but we can go to public comment first. Please okay. do. Is there any public comment on this item in room 416? Come on up, Richard. And then if anyone is on our line who'd like to comment, you can dial star three to be added to the queue. Richard Harris, again, with the Public Parks Alliance, the uh, Public Golf Alliance. Um, our comment we uh, gave in a, uh, a three-page letter, which notes the absence of the golf courses from this accountability tool. Um, the golf courses uh, uh, are 25%, 24% of the earned revenue of this department. They're important. Uh, and this tool uh, is, is useful both for the public and for the department. Uh, when the, uh, when the uh, mayor's uh, budget analyst uh, gave the, the department a, uh, a management review in 2006, they noted that the golf courses were omitted. They said they should be omitted. They should not be omitted. And we agree with that. Uh, we've given you the, the citations uh, in, in our three-page letter. Uh, we have made this point before and uh, are making it again. It's a simple request, and, uh, and I thank you. Thank you, Richard. Is there anyone else in room 416 who'd like to comment on item 9? Seeing none, do we have anyone with their hand raised on our line? No hands raised. Commissioners, you may have a discussion. I don't see any comments other than our general manager and uh, also Commissioner Griffin. Go ahead, Mr. General Manager. I just wanted to offer a quick thank you and acknowledgement of the Controller's Office for their terrific uh, partnership. I also wanted to uh, thank uh, 
Lydia Zavarucha and Ben Juan for their management of excellent management of this program, uh, which actually involves uh, our own staff uh, going out and doing these inspections. It's a really with a with a really good tool, um, objective tool. Uh, and if anybody ever wanted to to do a park inspection, it's, it's actually kind of fun and interesting. Um, and uh, the way that data is sliced and diced this year um, is really exciting. If you're a data geek, you can really kind of drill down and look at any package of parks that you want in any geographic area, focusing on any feature, uh, which is exciting. And so uh, just a, a big thank you to the, to the team that does this. Thank you, Commissioner Griffin. Um, yes, the gentleman's question about the golf courses, um, is there an answer to that? As to why it's not part of uh, the... It may be part of a broader question of, of um, that all our golf courses are run by operators or uh, independent entities as opposed to rec and park employees. Uh, but don't we ahead. have rec and park employees doing the maintenance? Well, gardeners, for sure. No, we maintain the golf courses. They just run the rounds, the right. concessionaires. Um, I'm Lydia Zaviruch. I manage the program. I want to thank Ben and Craig and Sherman. And Great presentation. Yes. Really Great good. Present. Very detailed, and it's a new threshold. Um, I hate to admit it. I'm one of the people long in the tooth with the department here, along with <laughs> Denny. We were both here when this was uh, voted on and implemented. So that was 2003. We had a draft of evaluation standards, not inspections, key evaluations. They're not inspections. In 2005, we only initiated at the beginning of 2006 when that management audit came out. And the then general manager, in fact, if you look at it, he agreed. But, you know, operation environment changes. Uh, we've had a few general managers in the department before. Phil came to town. Um, so that was at that time, and that was noted. But what we did is we developed these standards with the controller's office, and we also conducted best practice research throughout the United States. One of our staff even was spoiled and got to go to New York City because they had one of the first evaluation tools. So that was one thing we did. And also, together with the controller's office, we had to interpret the words in that legislation. And so what was done in reading the legislation, basically we interpreted parks as a free public facility, right? Equal access to all. So we do not, in fact, evaluate specialized facilities, even if they're free, that might need special knowledge. And we especially don't evaluate paid facilities. Again, a narrow specialized focus. Focus. So that explains why that decision was made and why it continues. Thank you, uh, so the Yacht Harbor Griffin. probably doesn't fall under this either, does it? Which one? The Yacht Harbor. Correct. We only evaluate those sections that are publicly accessible. We don't do anything past the gates where the docks and the berths are. Very helpful. Thank you. Thank you for the explanation. Right. Sure. No problem. Thank you. Commissioner Louie. Oh, I'll just be very quick. Thank you, Benjamin and Craig. That was awesome. Uh, I can't wait to go home. It's a very interactive map. You continue to um, make the department and our parks look beautiful, and I'm going to try the, uh, the dog interactive uh, button when I get home. Thank you. Commissioner Griffin? Can we just get this on SFGov? Do, does the public have access yep. to this tool? Okay. It's on the SFGov website. Go to the controller. I think we have a link to it on our own website. Well, I'm going to do the same thing Commissioner Louie's doing. I'm going to go home and play with this thing. 
All right. On that note, I will add that uh, it, uh, it is the, uh, stating the obvious, but the uh, scores keep going up. And I think that's a uh, credit to everybody in the department. And so they all should take a little pat on the back for... Uh, I hear it all the time everywhere, that everybody loves the parks and they think they've never been in better shape. So it's, it's a real tribute to, to a dedicated staff, and I guess we ought to tip our hat to the leadership of the staff, too. Anyway, oh yeah, good, good. all right, <laughs> onward and upward. Okay, so as a reminder, that was discussion only. We're now on item 10, and we're going to also call item 11, along with item 10, Noe Valley Town Square Restroom Grant Acceptance. <laughs> And donor recognition, as well as a specified grant accept and accept and expend. Good morning, commissioners. Is it still morning? Oh, just no, it's Good afternoon. afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon. My name is Dahlia Curry, and I'm with the Partnerships Division. The item before you is to recommend that the Board of Supervisors authorize RPD to accept from volumetric building companies and public restroom company an in-kind grant of a prefabricated modular restroom and its installation at Noe Valley Town Square valued at approximately $425,000 and to approve a donor recognition sign. Noe Valley Town Square is located at 3861 24th Street between Sanchez and Vicksburg Streets on the 24th Street commercial corridor in Noe Valley. The site is a quarter of an acre and is surrounded by a mix of retail shops and services, restaurants, and multifamily and single-family residences. The property was purchased by RPD in, in uh, June of 2013 and a concept design plan for a public open space was approved by this commission of, in April of 2014. The proposal to establish a public open space at the site evolved through more than four years of collaboration between RPD, the community group residents for Noe Valley Town Square, then Supervisor Scott Wiener's office and the San Francisco Parks Alliance. The square opened to the public on October 27th uh, 2016. During the park design process, there was broad consensus that a restroom would be a valuable addition to the site, and the approved 2014 concept plan contemplated a public restroom in the northeast corridor of the plaza, which is just right behind the bulletin board there. The addition of a restroom has been approved by the planning department and found to be consistent with the project's categorical exemption under CEQA. In its fiscal year 21-22 budget, RPD allocated funds for project planning, including evaluating the viability of a modular restroom at the site and preparing cost estimates for project funding. Before that work began, the Noe Valley community successfully advocated for state funds for the project based on a high-level estimate for a custom-built, custom-designed restroom at the site. 
In November of 2022, RPD was approached by Vaughn Buckley with volumetric building companies and Chad Kaufman with public restroom company who expressed interest in contributing a modular demonstration public restroom for Noe Valley Town Square. The restroom was manufactured off-site and has served as their demonstration model at trade shows throughout the country for approximately a year. Public Restroom Company specializes in manufacturing modular restroom facilities and volumetric building companies, designs, manufactures, and builds housing and hospitality buildings around the world. The value of the in-kind grant is estimated to be approximately $425,000. This includes the modular prefabricated restroom facility itself, installation and site improvements, including design and engineering services to create permit drawings, relocation of the drinking fountain, and electrical water and plumbing hookups. They have agreed to utilize union contractors for site work. RPD's portion of the project will include landscape design, permits, environmental review, and some architecture and engineering, totaling approximately $300,000. To recognize the don donor's generous contribution, RPD proposes to install a plaque on the restroom that will be a maximum of two feet by two feet in accordance with RPD's gift policy. The final sign and wording will be subject to the mutual agreement of the parties. This is the preliminary schedule. We're currently in the planning phase now through March. Drawings for permits and construction will be developed April through May with bid award in June through July. And uh, finally, construction taking place in late summer, early fall. Um, that concludes my presentation for this item. Should I go right into the next? I think so. That would be helpful. Okay. I am here for Tony Moran, who couldn't be here today, but I believe she's on the, on the line is. to answer any questions. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this item is discussion and po possible action to adopt a resolution to approve an application to the California Department of Parks and Recreation's specified grant program in the amount of $1.7 million for prefabricated public restrooms starting with Noe Valley Town Square and Presita Park and other spaces if funding is available. And two, to recommend that the Board of Supervisors authorize the Recreation and Park Department to accept and expend the grant funds. And finally, to recommend that the Board of Supervisors authorize the General Manager to enter into a grant agreement. I've just provided some background uh, on the history of the project. This presentation focuses on the $1.7 million specified grant the department received as part of the fiscal year 22-23 budget. The grant is administered by the California Department of Recreation and Park. It requires a resolution to apply for the grant funding. Once received, this is followed by executing a grant and then applying for projects to expend the grant funding. The grant award in the amount of $1.7 million was awarded to construct a bathroom at Noe Valley Town Square. We have since received an in-kind grant and found ways to reduce project costs and will now allocate $300,000 of that funding to this bathroom project. 
The department is coordinating with the, with the state on expanding the grant contract to allow us to use the remaining 1.4 million to fund the installation of module restroom at Presida Park and potentially other parks and open spaces if funding is available. Thank you. Thank you. Should we go to public comment? Yeah, we also, um, just as, so the commissioners know, we do have Tony Moran on our WebEx, so she's available to answer questions. In the meantime, I'm going to start with um, public comment. Would you like me to take public comment separately in the event that we do have public comment or together? Uh, let's try and take it together since okay. it was presented together. On items 10 and 11, is there anyone in room 416 who'd like to comment? Okay, seeing none, is there anyone with their hand raised? No hands raised. Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Thank you. Commissioner Mazzolo. Thank you. So this item is a big issue for me. Um, and there's two reasons why it's a big issue. So the first issue is that I think it's even illegal to be here. Um, by way of the Board of Supervisors and by charter, by 12X, it prohibits contracting, shall not enter into any contract with an entity from 30 different states, one of them being Nevada where this thing was made. Um, it doesn't say unless it's free. It doesn't say that anywhere in there. So I think it's illegal that we're even contemplating doing this today and it's on our agenda. And I have board members at the Board of Supervisors that I've talked to that agree with me. Um, you have a ban. It's a ban. There's not an end around or a loophole because it's free. And let me talk about it being free. <laughs> um, first off, the founders of Noe Valley Town Square are against it by way of a letter in our packets. Um, a donor recognition sign. <laughs> we're going to brag about the fact that we got this from Nevada, a state by city charter, we are not allowed to have an agreement with. It doesn't say it has to be a monetary agreement, any agreement. So if we approve this today, that's an agreement with the city. If they're going to get a sign and they're going to be able to do this and install this, that's an agreement. Um, all this developer cares about is free advertising. It's a publicity stunt for them. Nothing is free. Don't be fooled about the salesperson looking to profit because that's what's going on here. Um, and you just heard that this isn't going to be the only one. Reckon Park wants to install more of these at different parks, on and on and on. And this just opens the door to more of that. Um, it should stop there because I feel like this is illegal. Um, but I'm going to talk to you about the other reservation I have with this stuff um, in case you guys do deem that it is legal and we should be voting on this today, which I don't think we should. Um, by way of what 12X says, if any of you read 12X, it says that we can't be doing this. And, there, and if anybody says otherwise, I disagree, and I'd love to hear it. But anyways, let's move on to, this, to the off-site construction issue. One small bathroom. Then it's a big one. Then it's a kitchen. Then it's a big structure. Where does it stop? You know what we're doing by approving stuff like this? We're shipping out local jobs. Who worked on these units? How much did the workers get paid? Were the workers exploited? I guarantee you they weren't getting prevailing wages. There was no codes. 
There was no local hire. There was no inspection of these units. Why does a city want to do business with a company that exploits workers and takes jobs out of the local economy? Where are our values? How do we know it's not a sweatshop? What do we know about it? Is saving money more important than protecting workers? We need to keep jobs in San Francisco. Another worry of mine is that they, the city tries to bypass a citywide project labor agreement that we just negotiated by grabbing something that's free and says it falls under the threshold. It's a big worry of mine. Good jobs and good apprenticeship opportunities are shipped out of town. Also shipped out of town are the economic sustainability that comes from local hire, living wages, health care, pensions, and other economic benefits of properly spent public dollars. How are unions supposed to take in underprivileged San Franciscans in our apprenticeship programs when all the work is shipped out of town and done off-site? So the next time someone complains about the wages of a gardener or a plumber, Remember that we are all being told that the landscape design alone here will be in excess of $300,000 to add plants around this toilet structure. But does anybody have any idea how long before this free toilet will have to be replaced? Because it is built by non-skilled workers and designed with a sink on the outside that will be used as a sink, a toilet, a shower, and probably end up being ripped off the side wall. San Franciscans should build San Francisco if you want to take the $1.7 million, go ahead, but figure out a way to normalize the construction costs. And it's definitely not the workers that are the problem. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, Commissioner Griffin. Um, I also have concerns about this modular thing. It's, it, I didn't know until today that there are more in the pipeline. So I also have a real concern about it. And... Um, I just wanted to register that. Thank you. Commissioner Jupiter Jones. Just a couple of questions, because we heard this at Capitol Committee, and it was explained to us that the, the ban, what is it, 12X, 12X specifically exempt, it's, it, donations are not included in that. So that was, that's the question. Is that is that accurate? And then my second question, the second modular, the, accepting the grant to do more. Are we buying these, those from the same company that is donating this? One for Noe Valley. That would be my second question. Sarah Madlin, uh, Director of Policy and Public Affairs. Um, we have been advised by the State Attorney's Office that 12X does not apply to gifts. 12X is a section of the code, as you know, that prohibits us from purchasing or contracting with uh, companies that exist, and I believe it's 30 states that have either restrictive abortion or LGBTQAI plus uh, laws. Um, that provision does not apply to acceptance of gifts. And I, Manu is here if he want if we want further clarification on that. Um, in regards to the second question about the 1.7 million dollars that the state has allocated to give to us. Um, as Dahlia said, we are uh, planning to use the $300,000 of that 1.7 for soft costs associated with this project and the remainder um, for our top priority site for a new restroom, which is Proceda Park, um, and the purchase of and um, some of the cost of the installation of a modular restroom at that site. 
But are we buying that modular restroom from the company that's donating the one for no? No, because we are prohibited from buying Got from it. that so company. That so we would be purchasing from um, through our normal purchasing processes. Would that be a local? We don't we don't know what that would be, or do we know that that's a local? We don't know. We with all of there's a there's a procurement process that um, that people can bid on essentially. Okay, um, Commissioner Anderson. How common is it for us to um, purchase modular bathrooms like what you just mentioned? Have we done that before? And if we did, when and where? We have a uh, customized modular restroom at in McLaren Park. Um, so we have purchased them before uh, and then made adjustments to them to fit the site. Dan, do you know how many in the system? I don't know how many we have. Commissioners, so, I'd, I'd just so also I would, just note for, for context that um, every JC Deco that you walk by on is, every street corner in San Francisco is a modular restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, I would say not common. We do have a few of them in the system. Right. Um, Commissioner Mazzola, I'm, I, uh, I'm quite sympathetic to the things that you were saying and also um, acutely aware of the press that we have gotten and opinions from taxpayers, residents of the city who also are sympathetic and grateful to the advocacy of the unions, but who also want to make sure that their dollars are stretched and valued and that we get the biggest bang for the buck. Um, I also wanted us to consider that there's a number of dog play areas and playgrounds where there are not facilities for using the restroom, like Upper Douglas Dog Park, and it's really hard on people to have to go looking around for a bathroom, and we can't really afford to build 1.7 and $2 million bathrooms all over the, the system. Um, I would love to, you know, in the future figure out how, you know, Local 38 and other unions can wrestle with this project, with this conundrum, you know. Um, theoretically, could a bathroom for this space be completely built by RPD workers? For example, I understand it's already been pre-piped for an installation, right? It was pre-piped during the Noe Valley Town Square construction uh, uh, process, and I don't remember off the top of my head who the particular contractor was, but all of our prevailing wage laws would apply. Um, while we have had some success, uh, Graves, I mean, our, our, our in-house uh, structural maintenance staff is fabulous, and as you know, that we had uh, some folks who've worked on the Pagoda and... Uh, and then many years before, they worked on the um, Kizar uh, Community <coughs> Garden Project, and we do ask our structural maintenance team to kind of step up a little bit on small construction projects from time to time. Uh, but remember, there is a difference between construction maintenance and then the day-to-day the -day maintenance and fixing things that are 
broken, including a lot of plumbing and irrigation and things like that all throughout our park system. So the way we typically work, uh, with some small exceptions is that we are resourced to take care of, uh, our, our yard is, you know, uh, does an amazing job of, uh, responding to emergencies and fixing what's broke. And we do use, uh, the city's contracting processes to, to, to do construction. Thank you. Commissioner Mazzola. So I looked up 12X on my phone, and I have the contracting part. Um, nowhere in here, Sarah, I love you, but nowhere in here does it say you can accept a gift. The word gift is not even in here. Um, so I disagree with that. Um, you know, it just boggles my mind that we care about women's rights and LBGTQ rights, but, oh, if it's free, we don't care anymore. Makes no sense to me. Um, as far as the cost of this thing, I think Kat's right on board. We can do this in-house. Um, you know, DPW and PUC want to inflate their prices on us. That's not our fault. The city is inept in managing projects. That's not the worker's fault. Um, there's no cost-effective energy green build design. It's just a race to the bottom. Who can get it the cheapest? Well, why don't we go to... Bangladesh, why don't we go to China? Why don't we go somewhere else that just get it even cheaper and just throw out all, all of our values and, and turn our backs on every worker that is working in San Francisco and spending money in the community here. This is a big problem and a big issue. Thank you. Seeing no other comment, um, I guess, uh, Manu, I don't want to force you to the podium to tell us, but uh, I'm going to assume what we're doing is legal. Yep. Now I'll force you to the podium and force <laughs> you to answer. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, I think one question we have heard overall that maybe I can help with is, does 12X prohibit the acceptance of a gift from a state for a company based in a state that's on the 12X list. Um, Commissioner, if does 12X, admin code 12X, prohibit the city from accepting a gift from a company based in one of the states that are on the 12X list, in this case, Nevada? So, Commissioner Mazzola, you're right that 12X does not use the word gift. Um, our office has sort of understood and interpreted to allow that. Because what it does say is that a contract, covers contracts, uh, means an agreement between a contracting department and a person that is at the expense of the city, right, for public works to be purchased under Chapter 6. So in practice, what that means is that if the city wanted to hire a contractor using city funds to do this work, it would not be able to use a contractor based in Pelvic State. But because the purchase, uh, sorry, the receipt of a gift is not at the expense of the city, right? It's a gift. 12X doesn't apply. So um, the, it's a policy decision, certainly. The, the commission has the option to reject the gift if that's its preference because of this. But 12X doesn't, 12X doesn't prohibit the commission from accepting it. Thank you. So... Certainly, this issue has gotten a lot of attention, and it uh, and the costs have been uh, challenged in many ways. And as a result, some costs have been reduced by uh, 
this donation and state money coming in. The fact that um, I think Commissioner Mazzola raises a legitimate uh, issue in the broader sense of what the city should and shouldn't do. But I believe that unless the legislative body of the city wants to change the way we do business, we're presented with an opportunity to solve a problem at a less expensive price by donation. And I think we would be as much at fault to turn that down under those circumstances. So uh, I, for one, would recommend that we move forward on this. But note, I've been to the union headquarters. I've seen the training these fellows get. You get a superior product. You get an educated, dedicated workforce. And so philosophically, I'm 100% behind the idea that we ought to have some absolute rules around how things are done in the city. But if we're legally uh, in a position to approve this, I think it would be prudent, and I think it would be irresponsible not to do it. So with that, I would recommend a motion to approve. I'm next. I'm, I'm next. I'm sorry, Commissioner Mazzola, go ahead. I would like to make a motion to deny this gift. Okay, there's been a motion on the floor to deny the gift. Is Second. There, and it's been seconded by Commissioner Griffin. Can you call the roll? Yes, I just want to double check that we're talking about just item 10, correct? The gift of the restroom. Um. Well, they're together, aren't they? Ten and eleven. They are. There are. We you did call them together and discuss them, them together. We can separate them by vote. I think it's best to separate it to ten. Sure. Okay. And so yes, we have a motion and a second to deny item ten. Right. Could you okay. call the roll? Yes. On the motion to disapprove item ten, Commissioner Buell. No. Commissioner Anderson. No. Commissioner Griffin. Yes. Commissioner Halsey? No. Commissioner Louie? No. Commissioner Jupiter Jones? No. Commissioner Mazzola? Yes. So the mission, the motion fails. Uh, I see other commissioners want to speak. Uh, do you have more to say, Commissioner Anderson? Yeah, I just wanted to say that, again, I appreciate Larry's advocacy. It's not just Larry, it's Local 38 and, and all the unions who work to serve us well. And um, I do hope he will continue to push and press on things. But the, the media attention given to this $1.7 million bathroom, the embarrassment when, you know, Matt Haney, Haney decided not to show up and the, you know, the microscope that we went under, I actually appreciate it because... Some of you may recall a few years ago when we were presented with a $1.7 million bathroom in McLaren Park, I, I questioned that just because that seems like a lot of money, you know. You can buy homes for less than that. Um, so this is a one-off, Larry. It's a gift. Because this is such a small space and because of the media attention on this and the fact that you know, I'm, I'm cognizant of also taxpayer voices here. I'm going to support this, but I want to ask a question, and I, and I hope that we can actually work around this question, and that is, when next are we going to be confronted with plans for a $1.7 to $2 million bathroom? That needs to stop. But it also 
the building of these bathrooms needs to include our workers, and we need to adhere to the policies set forth by our legislature. Okay? Thank you. Commissioner Griffin. Um, what is the, why is the company donating this uh, modular bathroom? Do they plan on donating more? Uh, I, I do believe this, the, the donation itself is a one-off, and I don't disagree with Commissioner Mazzola on the point that it's good, you know, marketing and public relations for them. They, they, jumped, they jumped on this when all the national stories broke, and they reached out to us. And, and so I think like, it was noted that this was the model that was sent around the United States to trade shows showing yeah, what they could do. So exactly. I think it's a one-time. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just so, want to note it's possible we have the the donor on the line, um, if that's oh, good. helpful. So in, in that case, it's also important to, you know, offer a thank you to the donor. Um, you know, the donor didn't have to do this, by the way. And there are a lot of other cities and counties and a lot of other states and a lot of other jurisdictions that also would have taken a, a free modular, functional modular restroom. Um, and I, I think this has really been an interesting one and a challenging one for the Parks Department. We care deeply about stewarding public money. I think our capital program has been an extraordinary success. The people that lead our capital program, I'm looking at Stacy and Dan, and I'm looking behind at our planning director, Yael. Uh, this, you know, like, they work so hard to steward uh, taxpayer money, and yet to also deliver and meet the expectations of the public. We are guided by the city attorney's office has done some analysis for us. Thank you, Manu. We are guided by 27 different codes and statutes, putting aside reasonable stakeholder debate about what's, you know, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. 27 different local code sections have Bill, guided. You were going to speak after me. I oh, I'm, think. I'm sorry. Uh, it was my way of answering the, the question, but I will. Oh, uh, well, keep I will, going. Um, and uh, that puts us in a, that's, that's how you get $1.7 million restrooms. All right. And um, so I think, uh, you know, Commissioner Anderson, to, to, your, to your point and to your comment, which I'm also partially responding to, sorry, Commissioner Griffin, and if you want, I can wait until you're done. Commissioner, why don't, Commissioner yeah, Gint, uh, Griffin, why don't you go ahead? Okay. Um, I know I keep hearing about the $1.7 million bathroom, but this bathroom is valued at $425, right? $425,000. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, that's, I guess, a reasonable price. Would the city be willing to pay for something like that? Uh, if they had to purchase them. Well, and if so, why why can't we purchase them? See, see, I, I, I got it. Made by union labor here in the city, and because they they may or may not exist, there are modular restroom companies, Commissioner Griffin, and uh, this one is a gift. But there's a whole bunch of collateral costs that are. This is why I I mentioned the 27 different codes and statutes, and you know, pursuant to our earlier conversation of all the costs that gets passed on to this department as we try to deliver uh, public amenities, um, there is a whole wake of collateral efficiencies uh, that are achieved by using a modular restroom. 
um, in in design, in planning, in reviews, in regulations, in all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of because these things, for example, are are approved at the state level. All the ADA access is approved by the state level is one example. So these are efficiency choices. We've had modular restrooms in the past, and I have the utmost respect for Commissioner Mazzola and the advocacy he's making, and he knows that. But I disagree with him on this point. And I think that um, you know this is a city that does an extraordinary amount of work to protect labor standards and to uh, you know look out for for workers. We also have to balance that with our responsibility to the public. And um, you know this is a much more appropriate and efficient way of delivering this type of amenity. I'm finished. Thank you. Seeing no other comments, the chair would entertain a motion to approve this item, both items uh, uh, 10 and 11. So moved. It's been moved. Is there a second? Second. Been moved and seconded. Uh, could the secretary please call the roll? The motion to approve item 10, Commissioner Buell? Aye. Commissioner Anderson? Aye. Commissioner Griffin? No. Commissioner Hallisey? Aye. Commissioner Jupiter Jones? Aye. Commissioner Louie? Aye. Commissioner Mazzola? No. Okay, motion passes to approve item 10. We would now have a discussion or motion on item 11. Chair would entertain a motion on item 11. Excuse me, I thought that were, you made the motion to have them together. We uh, voted on them both. Uh, well, we, if, what's, we what's just, the secretary going to tell me? We, we discussed the items together. We called them together, and we took public comment together, but they are two separate items. So we have to take two separate votes. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. President Buell said, I will entertain a motion for both 10 and 11 together. I, and I was oh, in error. Did. As the secretary points out, we have to take these separately. Oh. So I will entertain a motion on item 11. So moved. It's been moved. Second. Moved and seconded. Please call the roll. On item 11, Commissioner Buell? Aye. Commissioner Anderson? Aye. Commissioner Griffin? No. Commissioner Halsey? Aye. Commissioner Jupiter Jones? Aye. Commissioner Louie? Aye. Commissioner Mazzola? No. Item 11 passes. So moved. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Moving on, we have item 12. We're now on item 12, 1458 San Bruno Avenue, Shadow on Potrero del Sol Park, and James Rolfe Jr. Playground. Uh. Thank you, Commissioner's uh, liaison. Give me just a moment to load the presentation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Great, thank you. Um, good afternoon, Commission. Uh, my name is Chris Towns. I'm a planner with the Recreation and Park Department. And um, I'm actually joined today by uh, Ella Samonski from the Planning Department, uh, who is joining us virtually. Um, she's the project planner on the project. 
Our presentation will provide you with a summary of the proposed residential development at 1458 San Bruno Avenue and its shadow effects upon two parks under the jurisdiction of the Rec and Park Department, uh, Patrol del Sol Park, also known as La Raza Park, and uh, James Rolfe Jr. Playground. Uh, and this item is actually a rehearing of this project that was previously heard by the Rec and Park Commission uh, on its August 18th, 2022 uh, hearing in which the Rec and Park Commission recommended to the Planning Commission that the project would not have a significant adverse impact on the use of the shadowed parks. However, since then, uh, the project sponsor in response to public input has revised the project to include 56 off-street parking spaces, uh, whereas the previous project had none, uh, with slight design and massing alterations coupled with that, uh, which has slightly increased the annual shadow loads upon the parks, requiring updated shadow analysis and reconsideration by the commission. Uh, review, of the uh, review of the shadows cast by this project uh, supports objective 1.2 of the strategic plan to quote, strengthen the quality of existing parks and facilities. Um, for shared policy and code context, uh, Prop K, the sunlight ordinance, aimed at protecting park properties from negative shadow impacts was approved by voters in 1984, uh, which subsequently led to the adoption of planning code section 295 in 1985. Uh, which prohibits the city from issuing building permits for structures greater than 40 feet in height um, that would cast shadow upon a, proper, a property under the jurisdiction of Reckon Park unless the Planning Commission, after consultation with the Reckon Park Commission, finds that the shadow would not have a significant adverse impact on the use of the park property. Um, as an implementation tool, in 1989, the memo was adopted which identified quantitative and qualitative criteria for de uh, determinations of significant shadows. Um, in addition to quantitative criteria established per the memo, qualitative criteria to consider uh, include time of day, time of year, shadow location, shadow size, shadow duration, and the public good served by the buildings uh, casting the shadow. Um, at this time, I'd like to pass it to Ella, who's joining us virtually. Uh, she's the project planner who will provide a brief overview of the project uh, update, uh, the latest community input, and the public good served by the project. Ella, if you're there. Jeanette, can you unmute Ella? There you go. Wow. Hi, uh, good afternoon, commissioners. This is Ella Samothy, Planning Department staff. Um, the revised project that you are seeing today still would propose the demolition of three light industrial buildings containing one unauthorized dwelling unit and new construction of a seven-story, approximately 73-foot-tall over-basic residential building utilizing the state density bonus program. The building would contain a total of 225 dwelling units, of which 133 would be studios, one one-bedroom, 82 two-bedrooms, and nine three-bedrooms. And as Chris mentioned, this current proposal includes 56 parking spaces and two car share spaces at a basement level garage. The project would also provide 134 class one bicycle parking spaces and 12 class two bicycle parking spaces. The project is seeking a density bonus of 38.75% um, and is requesting waivers from development standards for height, rear yard, exposure, and off street loading. Now the, the changes from this project from the previous are again, the addition of 56 parking spaces and two car share spaces at the basement level, 
a reduction in the total number of units from 232 to 225 units, modifications to the massing that, while not increasing height, did expand horizontally the sixth floor northward and westward, and also expanded the sixth and seventh floor of the southern building westward. It also uh, added a new roof deck, a common roof deck on the seventh floor and expanded the roof deck on the sixth floor. And they also made additional <clears throat> project revisions so that the project is no longer requesting concessions under the uh, state density bonus law. Previously, it had been requesting concessions to open space and permitted obstructions. Um, <clears throat> To date, the planning department has received correspondence from approximately 25 members of the public in opposition and 83 in support of the project. Um, the main changes uh, since this project was last heard by this commission was that um, approximately 50 neighborhood residents that had previously submitted a signed letter of opposition to the project due to the lack of on-site parking have withdrawn their opposition and now support the project as designed with 56 spaces. Um, the project sponsor has also continued to be in communication with the Calle 24 Latino Cultural District and United to Save the Mission regarding options on increasing housing affordability. Um, the project benefits to this project would be that it utilizes the state density bonus program to provide increased density, approximately an additional 84 dwelling units on the site which in turn you know, increases the city's housing supply. Um, it also would provide 20% of the dwelling units of the base project as affordable, permanently affordable. So the on-site inclusionary rate is broken down into three income tiers with 12% at low income, 4% at moderate income, and 4% at middle income. As applied to the base project, this would result in a total of 28 dwelling units um, that would be um, permanently affordable. And this would, again, increase the city's supply of affordable housing. The project will also pay all the applicable development impact fees, including uh, the affordable housing fee on the portion not uh, credited by the on-site uh, provision of on-site units. Um, and the project also includes, uh, you know, 134 class one bicycle parking spaces and class two bicycle parking spaces, which support the city's bicycle transit network. I'm available for any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ella. For, uh, for park, if I can get the PowerPoint back up, please. For park layout reorientation, uh, Patrel del Sol on, on, the, uh, on the right is a 4.36 acre park whose northern half consists of grassy expanses and a children's play area. The midsection of the park features a large uh, skate park adjacent to a circular amphitheater and trellis feature um, and a rectangular community garden with plots located at the far southwest corner of the park um, abutting the proposed project site. Uh, topographically, the site is somewhat rolling and programmatic areas are connected via meandering pathways throughout. Uh, whereas James Rolfe Jr. Playground is an existing uh, just under three acre park across Petrero Avenue, uh, predominantly occupied by two large baseball fields covering the southern two thirds of the park uh, with the top third uh, consisting of a clubhouse, a children's play area and uh, courts. 
Here is a visual comparison of the project's full year annual shadow fan uh, between uh, the previous August 18th version project versus the newly updated project on the right. Um, with areas of shadow coverage increased, uh, increases circled in red. As you can see, areas of shadow increase uh, are dispersed and slight on Petrol del Sol, occur over grassy expanses and along park edges. Whereas for James Rolfe Jr. Playground, increased shadow coverage occurs in two areas over the southern baseball field along Petrol Avenue edge, as well as the inner outfield. Um, seasonally, the shadow behavior upon the parks remained largely the same uh, with new project shadow present throughout the year during all times of day. However, peaking during morning hours and decreasing through the end of day and most prominent during the uh, morning hours of fall and winter. This slide provides a comparison of the quantitative and qualitative aspects of the previous versus updated project shadow on Petrol del Sol. Quantitatively, there's an existing 2.18% uh, shadow load on Petrol del Sol. For reference, the previous project proposed a 4.02% shadow increase for a total of 4.20%. Uh, I'm sorry, for a total of 6.20% um, shadow load on the park, whereas the updated project proposes 4.20% shadow load increase for a total of 6.38% an increase of 0.18% uh, between the previous project and the new. Um, the image on the right depicts a comparison of the previous project versus the updated um, project maximum on its maximum net new shadow day occurring on December 20th at 8, 19 a.m. Um, the red circled areas indicating areas of shadow increase, uh, which as mentioned before, are dispersed and occur over grassy expanses and the park edge. Qualitatively, shadow behavior throughout the year remains the same in terms of time of year, time of day. Um, project shadows occur year round during all times of day, however, peaking most prominently during the morning hours from 8 to 10.30 a.m. and decreasing throughout the end of day, seasonally most prominent during the morning hours of fall and winter. Um, the average daily sh duration of shadows is approximately eight hours and 21 minutes. Uh, with, an with an average shadow coverage of 4.98% instead of 4.78% with the previous version. Um, with regard to shadow location, as before, the full year shadow fan spans the southern two-thirds of the park over the community garden, skate park, grassy and, uh, expanses, as well as the amphitheater and trellis feature. This slide provides the compar same comparison, but uh, specific to James Rolfe Jr. Playground. Um, quantitatively, there is an existing 6.97% shadow load. Um, both the previous project and the updated project proposed a 0.01% shadow increase for a total of 6.98%, effectively no increase in percentage of shadow load. Um, the image on the right depicts the comparison of the previous versus proposed project areas of change circled in red. And as you can see, the increased areas are, um, you know, along the Petrero Avenue edge, as well as the inner outfield. Um, qualitatively, in terms of shadow behavior throughout the year, um, it is still occurs in spring and summer and only during the more, uh, early morning hours before 8 a.m. So in closing, uh, I'd just like to highlight that the 1989 memo provides quantitative and qualitative criteria for determining whether a project shadow upon a rec park property would have a significant adverse impact on the use of the park, 
Um, quantitatively, the memo establishes that for parks greater than two acres in size, with less than or equal to 20% existing shadow load, as is the case for both parks here, uh, the memo's guidance is for up to a 1% shadow increase. Um, again, for reference, in the case of Patrol del Sol, uh, it is a 4.36 acre park, experiences 2.18% existing shadow load, and the project would add 4.2% increase for a total of 6.2, uh, a 0.18% increase from the previous version considered. Um, in the case of James Rolfe Jr. Playground, uh, it's a 2.93 acre size park, experiencing 6.97% existing shadow load, and the project both before and now proposes a 0.01% shadow increase, um, so no increase in overall percentage there. Qualitatively, the updated project is largely consistent with the previous considered project for both parks in terms of time of day, uh, time of year, shadow size, shadow duration, shadow location, and public good as described by Ella. And that concludes my presentation. If you guys have any questions, we're both available. Thank you. Is there any public comment in room, uh, in room 416 on item 12? Come on up to the speaker. Sure, yep. In the meantime, I'll just ask, is there anyone on our line? If, if you would like to speak, you can dial star three to be added to the queue. Is it up? I think it, oh, uh, could I put it on the screen or? It's is, is it on the screen? Oh uh, yeah. Okay, there you go, it's up now. Okay, great. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, Nick Roosevelt, Land Use Council for the project sponsor. Uh, we were here in August uh, with a code compliant version of the project that contained no off-street parking. Uh, since the summer, the sponsor heard the community feedback uh, regarding uh, parking and before you is a rev revised design that uh, contains uh, code compliant uh, off-street parking uh, with materially the same design, albeit a, a reduction in seven dwelling units and minor ma massive modifications, which is why we're here uh, before you today. Uh, we respectfully submit that the record before you supports that the net new additional shadowing from this revised design is minor in nature and that the project merits approval for the same reason this commission uh, recommended approval uh, back in August. Uh, a few key points to to emphasize that we're true in August and remain true today. Um, this project was carefully uh, sculpted to cast a smaller shadow than a code compliant 40 foot project. Uh, at that 40 foot height, uh, the project wouldn't be under this commission's jurisdiction, uh, yet that project would have casted more shadow than this project uh, uh, that's before you today casts. Uh, it's a code compliant project on a site that was rezoned for housing. Uh, the Eastern Neighborhoods uh, EIR that was uh, uh, completed for the rezoning uh, had CEQA findings, uh, finding that the production of housing was of overriding importance in comparison to the significant uh, impact of, of shadowing on park from the, the development. Um, briefly, with regards to the community garden, which you may regard uh, remember is, is a, uh, something that has been a, a careful focus for the project. Uh, the project has, has already been uh, sort of uh, redesigned to remove the portion in red shown uh, that produced in a, resulted in a reduction in 77 units, uh, but significantly reduced the, the shadowing on the garden. Uh, we've also submitted expert testimony that the shadowing will not uh, substantially interfere with the productive use of the garden and would point to examples of 
uh, urban gardens in the city that have tall buildings around them uh, that, that cast shadows, and yet they uh, are still thriving spaces. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> do we have any other speakers in room 416? Okay, seeing none, do we have any hands raised? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Commissioners? Okay. Commissioner Griffin. Uh, yes, how, how did the neighbors respond to the increase in the shadow? Ella, if you're still on the line, would you like to comment? <laughs> um, uh, Planning Department has not received um, a lot of new comment uh, in relation to the shadow. Um, the comments that were received were from the fifth, you know, was from the or organized group of about 50 neighbors in relation to the parking. All right. Okay. And, and just to confirm, the only public comment received was from the Planning Department. None were received by our department on this project in its new format. Well, I'd like to make a motion that we approve this. Thank you. Before we second that, let's, or is there a second? And then second. we'll, okay, and then we'll hear from Commissioner Jupiter Jones. Mm -hmm. I'll be brief since apparently today's the day for hot topics, but, um, you know, just to reiterate how I felt the first time this, com this came before us, I do think it's too much shadow. I think it does have an adverse effect on that park, especially last month we heard that this is a park that has adjusted park hours that closes early. This is just adding to more time um, that the park is not at its best. Um, it was pointed out to me that, you know, Potrero del Sol, La Raza Park, as I know it, um, is a park that has a lot of sunshine. And while I think that point was made to convince me to not worry so much about this shadow, when, when I was reflecting on that, it actually made me more resolute. And, like, that is what makes this park great. So that's why I want to protect that sunshine. So I won't be voting to approve this. Thank Nothing you. new, but just... It's important to say it. Thank you, Commissioner. I, um, mm. uh, Commissioner, uh, let's see, Commissioner Anderson, you're next up. I just want to say I was pleasantly surprised to hear about a project that added parking. Oh. It's about time. All right. Commissioner, uh, General Manager Ginsburg. Uh, I just wanted to just remind everyone that what we're, we're voting on is not whether to approve or not approve a project it is to uh, review the the analysis about how much shadow and to decide whether this Commission thinks that that it has an impact on the park and if it if it does our if the Commission determines that it does then we advise the Planning Commission that this Commission found that the shadow does have right. an impact and that it is the planning's commission planning commission's job to mm -hmm. to to make those sort out the issues to, to right. sort out the issues if we don't think it has uh, a significant impact as those terms are defined both qualitatively and quantitatively then we sh just share with planning that this commission did not find right. that it had a significant thank impact. you for but that nobody's voting for or against anything thank you for that clarification commissioner Mazzola um, I would have to agree with Commissioner Jupiter Jones. You know, normally these aren't much of a shadow. It's not a big issue, but today seems like it is kind of a more of an issue. So um, I think I'm going to have to vote no on this also. I think it does create an impact. So thank you. All right. Commissioner Hallisey. Um, we did in August vote 4 to 1 for this project, and I feel that the increase in shadow from the original 
project is minimal. I have great respect for Commissioner Jupiter Jones. This is her neighborhood. It has been her whole life. But we are restricted from what we can address here. And I don't feel that the second version of this project has added enough of a shadow for us to vote against it. So I would be uh, voting for it uh, today. But again, all due respect to uh, Commissioner Jupiter Jones and, and her neighborhood. I understand her, her love for her area. Okay, so seeing no other comments, uh, the, the matter before us is uh, to frame the motion that, uh, is there a motion to approve this recommending to the Planning Commission there is not a significant impact? My motion was out of order, you I believe. To... <laughs> um, yeah, because my motion was to approve it, and we don't do that. Right. Um, I guess my motion is to pass it along to the Planning Commission with a positive referral. All right. No negative impact. Yeah. It's been moved. Is there a second to that motion? Second. Could the Secretary please call the roll? On the motion to send this to the Planning Commission that the net new shadow does not have a significant adverse impact, Commissioner Buell? Aye. Commissioner Anderson? Aye. Commissioner Griffin? Aye. Commissioner Hallisey? Aye. Commissioner Jupiter Jones? No. Commissioner Louie? Aye. Commissioner Mazzola? No. And the motion passes. Thank you very much. Okay, we are now on item 13, general public comment. At this time, members of the public who are not able to address the commission on item five may address the commission on items that are within the subject matter jurisdiction and that do not appear on the agenda. Is there anyone in room 416? Seeing none, do we have anyone with their hand raised on our line? No hands raised, public comment is closed. We're now on item 14, commissioners matters. Commissioners? See anything. Okay. Um, Seeing um, nobody, I, what was commissioners matters? Yes, I did uh, want to commissioner oh, yes. Griffin bring up something. I'm sorry. That's right. Um, last night I went to an event at uh, the public library in the Correct Auditorium, and it was a very interesting event. It was the Asian Pacific Islander Chinese community New Year's event, coupled with a Black History component and it was fascinating there was a lot of poetry commissioner anderson was also there um we had a filipino rapper and who was the, the korean. Uh, a korean rapper um, ruby barra hmm? ruby barra yes she was amazing she was amazing uh but the underlying message there was to start building better vibes, if for a better term, between the African-American and the Asian Pacific Islander community, especially the Chinese community. It's, uh, the, the nerves have been fairly raw. There have been, unfortunately, a lot of folks from the African-American community that have uh, really, well, they killed the man not far from Commissioner Louie's house and not far from my house. And um, and it was all on film. It was just horrible. But this was an event 
put on by Al Williams was part of it from the African American Cultural Society and Connie Chang, not Connie Chang, Christine Chang. Claudine Chang. Claudine Chang. Jeez, I've known the woman for 30 years. <laughs> I can't remember what I have for breakfast. Yeah, Claudine Chang was the moving force behind it. And it was just really something that I hope the communities can build on because it's been real fray and I've been trying to figure out what I could do to help and now I think I can I know what I can do to help but I just wanted to pass that along to the rest of the Commission it was a uh, a very positive feeling last night very positive thank you Commissioner yes anyone else can, can we also recognize that our Commissioner Griffin is going to be receiving a, an award and a recognition at Rick and Park's Black History Month celebration next week. Mm. I'm receiving Congratulations. Are you receiving a recognition? Yes. Oh, did, I, did I just ruin a surprise? Oh, surprise oh, is over. Yes. I didn't know about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I thought it was in the pub. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's no, no, okay. no, no. <laughs> Wow. And, of course, it's like on TV that but I we do could this. Hear <laughs> the only one that um, I, I missed it. So, we, Larry, we could, Larry, it was in our packet. We could rescind Larry, the award. Larry, <laughs> we just want to say you better show up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's bring this meeting back to order. <laughs> Anyone else want to ruin any surprise parties here? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Seeing no other commissioners' matters, is there any public comment on commissioners' matters? I'm just looking at um, our public line now. No hands raised. Public comment is closed. We're now on item 15, new business agenda setting. Commissioners, do you have anything to add? I don't okay. see anything. Do we have any hands raised for public comment? Uh, seeing none, I'm assuming. Uh, oh, we. Is it one hand raised or just one hand, one person there? Oh, of course there's a hand raised now. Okay. Okay. Uh, please, um, <laughs> please go ahead and unmute the caller. This is just on item 15, but please let us know if we missed you at another item. I didn't close it yet. Item 12. Oh, we already closed public comment for item 12. Um, I will leave this up to the president Wait, of the commission. If there's one person who wants to tell us something, let's hear it. All right. Uh, so, Jeanette, if you could please unmute the caller. You'll have two minutes to speak. Okay, the caller is unmuted. Yeah, my name is David Keenan. Um, my nonprofit, Safer DIY Spaces, has been working with owners around the development at 1458 San Bruno item um, in item 12. And I just wanted to say that the um, expansion of the parking area to about 0 0.18 uh, increase on the footprint is, is not something I think would concern the closest adjacent neighbors at 1462 San Bruno. Um, and that I just wanted to register that we had no That's great. issue with that and, and generally support the compromise there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, seeing no further callers, public comment is closed. We're now on item 16, communications. Is there anyone with their hand raised to comment on item 16? 
Seeing none, public comment is closed. We're now on item 17, adjournment. So motion. moved. It's been moved. Is there a second? Second. second. Moved and seconded. All those in favor. Aye. 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 Thank you. So moved unanimously. Why does meeting take so long? Now, now we can go to the back.